Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In Chicago, two comedian skeptics named Andy and Art were mysteriously abducted by the illusionary mastermind and conspiracy theorist known only as Mr. Mr. Bunker. Bunker. The following serves as a record of Bunker's attempt to convince non-believers of the truth about conspiracies and paranormal activity. Andy and Art give an uninterrupted presentation and verdict on the plausibility of these offbeat topics. Delivering what they call the whole enchilada. Will Mr. Bunker convince these two skeptics any of this is real? Will it convince you? Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. As always, I'm your co-host, Art Stone, and with me as always is your co-host, Andy Hart. Hello, listeners. Uh, paging Dr. Hart. Paging Dr. Hart. Dr. Hart, you're needed in the bunker. Uh, sorry, I'm just making my rounds and I'm a little behind. <laughs> yeah, no, you don't have a little behind. You got a big old thick I got a thick trunk. booty. <laughs> That's the sound it makes <laughs> when you're backing up. Andy, why yeah. are we dressed like doctors? Uh, because uh, we run an unlicensed clinic on the weekends. That's right. Come on down to the bunker. You can't find it. No, uh, there's no patients. We've never had a patient. That's right. But we do operate on each other's genitals. <laughs> Listeners, I want to go on the record. Andy and I have never seen each other's genitals. And we never will. That's an Art and Andy promise. Unless you pay us big bucks. That's a guarantee. Speaking of big bucks, Andy, today's topic. Speaking of big bucks, here's some pictures of a deer I shot over the weekend. God damn it. Those better be 10 point. I won't be impressed unless it's a 10 point buck. Today's topic, Andy, covers big time bucks. I mean, we're talking big money. Mega money. Mega money, mega millions. Big bucks, mega money. Uh, topless trillions. Topless trillions. Tons of trillions. We're talking about three huge topics today, Andy. Yeah. Maybe even four, This really. is an overstuffed triple XL enchilada today. We're talking big pharma. Big pharma. We're talking the conspiracy that they have the cure for cancer. Cure for cancer. We're using broad strokes to cover alternative medicine. Alternative medicine. And then we're going to dive Deep into Gwyneth Paltrow's goop. Goop. That's actually four things that we listed, but goop and alternative medicine, <laughs> consider it one. That's right. They're the, intertwined, interlaced. This is a huge episode, a huge topic. Uh, we're covering a lot of things. You know, we're using some broad strokes here, Andy, because broad some strokes. of this stuff can have its own episode, but we wanted to give a big whole enchilada overview. We want to give a whole enchilada on this broad topic. That's right. And then maybe someday... We'll give you whole enchiladas stuffed with many more details. That's right. Uh, and if you, dear listener, want to wanna bypass the wait 
You want to go straight to see the MD bunker. If you're ready for some belt-popping fullness. <laughs> and you want to get straight to all that research. Well, you know what? Here's a little prescription for you. Why don't you look it's in the show It's called Adderall. <laughs> you need to focus. <laughs> you need to just power through the intro, okay? <laughs> it's not over. No. You need to look in the show notes, okay? As your uh, doctor of podcasting. <laughs> yes, he has his PD. <laughs> Andy and I prescribe you to look at the show notes. Look at them. There's a timestamp. If you use that timestamp, you can go straight to the research and you can skip the, you know, X minute intro that Andy and I do. Because Andy and I, we're going to talk about how Mr. Bunker abducted us mm -hmm. and brought us to this bunker. That's right. The titular Mr. Bunker. That's what we're talking about. That's right. Andy. <laughs> Hi, Art. You know, Andy, uh, <sighs> I, uh, it's getting, it's getting, it's snowing outside. Boy. It's uh, it's a winter wonderland out there. A look there. of regret has washed across Art's face. He's... I just had a weird experience. Hmm. And, you know, and we're, we're, we're talking about pharmaceuticals and whatnot. And mm -hmm. anyway, I'm leaving my house, Andy. And, okay. You know, I'm on my way to work. Sure. And, um, you know, I'm all bundled up. It's cold outside. So, you know... I'm getting ready to trudge through the snow. Yeah. Suddenly I hear a uh, a car roar down the road. Oh, whatever. That happens. Roaring? Yeah, roaring. I mean, go into those coffee can muffler deals? Yeah, I mean, who knows, you know. I see you. Uh, you opted for the uh, curly of the Three Stooges. Uh, <laughs> again, muffler. I hear that sound roaring down the road, and all of a sudden I hear a screech. Screeches to a halt. I look over. It's Bunker. Whoa! He pulls up in a red Volkswagen slug bug convertible, and he shouts at me, "Get in, loser! We're going shopping." I'm like, what? What the fuck? I get in, Andy. I mean, what am I going to do? I'm not fighting this guy at this point in our lives. He's got to. We're on almost 50 fucking episodes. I'm going to get into his damn slug bug. He pulls up in a brand slug bug. Get in, loser. We're going shopping. Why fight him? He punches me in the arm as soon as I get in. Says slug bug. Says. And it fucking hurts because he's buff, as we all know. Bunker's buff. Bunker, buff. Yeah. yeah is this is this a is this a newer model or is this like a classic? Volkswagen. I'm pretty sure that's it's classic. Like Her Herbie the Love Bug? Well, it's a convertible. Okay. I don't think Herbie was a convertible. No. no. Not to my knowledge. I don't remember. Bunker's wearing these big Prada sunglasses and a goofy hat. And I'm like, okay. dude, it's fucking 20 degrees outside. What are you doing? And it doesn't matter. He slams on the accelerator. We are off. We speed down. I'm getting wind chill in my face. As you know, I don't wear any hats. No. I'm not a hat guy. Not a hat guy, for sure. I do wear a scarf. Uh-huh. Yeah. I love a scarf. Make no mistake. He anyway, fell in love with the scarf, folks. We arrive at the mall. No one's there. Uh, Nobody's at the mall? Yeah, I mean, as we all know, malls are dying, Andy. Oh. I mean, there's just not a lot of people. Oh. And this is also during the day at like mm. 10, in the, 10 in the morning. Right. Not even elderly walking? No, not even elderly walking. Mm. 
But anyway, Bunker is taking me to all the staples. You know, we get pretzels at Auntie Anne's. We hit up the Jamba Juice. Yeah. You know, we go to Spencer's Gifts and we sure. giggle at the inappropriate <clears throat> stuff in the 18 and over section. Right. As you do when you go That's to the what mall. you do. Then time seems to stop for a second, Andy. And reality bends. Suddenly, all around me, I, I'm surrounded. All I can hear is S Club 7's hit song, Bring It All Back. You know the one. Don't stop, never give up. Hold your head high and reach the top. Dun, 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 dun. Bring it all back to you. You know it. You love it. It's playing all around me. I, I can't not hear it. It's like it's in my head, Andy. And as I said, reality starts to bend. And suddenly... I'm in new clothes. Bunker shakes his head. No way. Again, time skips. New clothes. Bunker shakes his head again. Nuh-uh. Skip again, Bunker mugs. Oh, no, you didn't. Skip. Finally, Bunker nods. That's the one. I was in a montage sequence. Wow. I don't know where reality begins at this point, Andy. Time isn't a concept to me anymore. Physics have no jurisdiction on this realm, Andy. And suddenly I'm drenched. Oh. I'm sopping wet. Oh. Ice cold. Wake up! Wake up! And I wake up. My surroundings are foreign to me, Andy. I'm in the seedy basement adorned with rotting pillows and blankets. Beaded curtains trickle to the floor. Unsavory characters are smoking out of large pipes. Andy. Bunker took me to an opium den! Whoa! <laughs> And apparently, the fumes of the opium knocked me out. There it is. So he never picked you up. Well, I don't know. He picked you up. I don't know where it began and where it ended. An opium den? Yeah, an opium den. Like an old 18th century opium den? Must have been. 19th century? Yeah, people were hanging out, smoking out a big old hookah pipe thingy looking things. Wow. It was weird, Andy. I mean, there were people in, uh, you know, Victorian clothing, top hats. It was mm. some Russian, some seedy Russian guy hands Bunker a big package, and then we just kind of just kind of show up here. Mm. It was bizarre, Andy. Was Mr. Bunker doing opium? I didn't see him <laughs> doing the opium, but he took a giant package from the seedy Russian guy. Mm. Covered in burly tattoos. The tattoos were burly. They were of burly men. <laughs> just, he was a burly man covered in burly man tattoos. <laughs> his own likeness yeah. tattooed all over his body. Yeah, it was weird. Uh, wait, what happened to the package? I don't know what was in that package. I don't know if that's something mm. he's using for bunk tech. I don't know if that's something he's using for, uh, you know, uh, his other random abductions that he does. Well, listeners, I'm going to say go ahead and remember that that happened, that a burly Russian man covered in tattoos of his own likeness yeah. handed Mr. Bunker an undisclosed package. Cause this might come up later. Yeah. 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 You we'll have know. to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess we really will. Yeah. I mean, honestly, <laughs> we have, we truly don't know. Yeah, we, I mean, we don't know the future. This, it may never come up again. Yeah. You know as much as we do, listeners. Oh, yeah, in a very real sense. Anyway, <laughs> um, anyway, that's how I got abducted. Jeez, how are you feeling? Weird, to say yeah. the least, but, you know, they say that opium can either hit you or, you know, it... Uh, they say that opium, I think, it either, like, 
the first time you either get like instantly addicted or you can do it like a couple times and be fine. Hmm. I think that's what they say about opium. So I don't recommend anyone go to seedy opium dens though. There's some unsavory characters hanging on those opium dens. Okay. It is not fun. Like a mall montage sequence to S club sevens. Bring it all back. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So geez. Yeah. I hope you don't get addicted to opium. Yeah, I hope so too. Fitting for today's topic, but yeah. Anyway, yeah, I guess he sort of tailored your abduction. Well, he's wont to do. Yeah, Andy, how did you get abducted? Um, well, mine also fits the theme of today. Okay. Uh, in that I now have serious medical issues, <laughs> thanks to how now? I was abducted. <laughs> well, okay, more serious than before today. Uh, I already am in poor health. Everyone knows this. Um, and today didn't help matters any. Uh, Art, uh, <clears throat> it's uh, it's uh, it's the winter season here. Yeah, oh yeah, it's snowing. Um, and nothing, nothing warms you up in the winter better than a nice cup of hot cocoa. Oh, who doesn't love a nice cup of hot cocoa? And probably a couple pounds of confectionery treats. So, you know... <laughs> You're a marshmallow freak. <laughs> Listeners don't know this, but I know this because I know you. You are a marshmallow uh, freak. You love marshmallows. I've done some things with marshmallows. <laughs> I like marshmallows. Yeah. Um. So I decide that I'm going to take myself... Uh, to the uh, Ghirardelli uh, factory store here in Chicago. Ghirardelli being a famous chocolatier, chocolatier. from San Francisco, I believe. I don't know that that's accurate, but I'll say, okay. okay. All right, fuck I me I trust then. your judgment. Nope. I mean, I'm just saying I don't know that that's accurate. Okay. I'm not saying you're wrong. <laughs> I'm just implying it. They, uh, Everyone, they, they famously make these little chocolate squares. They make the squares. Very decadent. Um, um, you know. Yeah, and I, I, I love to go there because you can see them make them. Uh, in the store. Yeah. And um, so I head to the store. I get myself a nice cup of hot steaming Ghirardelli cocoa. And they give you a free sample when you Mm -hmm. walk in the door. What'd you get? Yeah. Uh, I got the uh, dark chocolate Uh raspberry square. Oh, well. Mm. Yeah, yeah. At first, oh yeah, at first I, I was, but then yeah. I brought you back. You brought me back. <laughs> um, uh, so I'm enjoying myself. You know, I've got a little. Um, I've got a like. I've got my shirt turned up, mm-hmm. uh, like a basket, and I just am like, you know, sweeping the shelves and dropping in the packages. And I just like to say again. You didn't bring your family to this. Oh no, I was alone. This is just you. Yeah, I left while they were sleeping. Best that they not know that I was awake. Okay. I'll make it home after they're asleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so <laughs> I sweep all the stuff into my sh- I'm sure. Oh, no, it's great. And yeah, then, you know, you nuts. go to the part where they're actually making the chocolates. Oh, yeah. And I'm I'm hypnotized by it. I Every time it gets me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the craftsmanship, the skill yeah. of these candy makers. Oh. So impressive. Such a hard thing to do. Confectionaries aren't easy. You got to have everything the right temperature. You got to have it in the right, like, atmospheric conditions everything's got to be so controlled listeners if you're as big of a fan as bon appetit's cinematic universe as i am you will know that claire sapitz has a lot of trouble when it comes to confectionaries because it's hard it is hard it's hard it's hard specialized equipment is hard it's hard (laughs) 
Give confectioners a break. These master chocolatiers are true artists, true craftsmen, whatever you want to say. They are skilled at what they do. Oh, yeah. I'm hypnotized watching it. Oh, uh, yeah, as I got to mention. Um, they bring down this uh, this big vat of, like, tempered chocolate, milk chocolate. Whoa. And they're going to do something. I don't know what they're going to do oh, with it. Oh, yeah, what well, they're going to fucking do with um, it. And they've got, like, this... They've got... Hold on. They've got this... Uh, so this I've got my pants off. Got, yeah. Just... There'll be time to masturbate. Hold on. Uh, they... They have this like robot thing, yeah. like this robot arm. You know, uh -huh. one of those arm robots sure. that like picks up the thing. It's like attaches to the side. This yeah. big thing. I'm like, oh, it's gonna tip it over. It's gonna make a. It's gonna be a big old waterfall of chocolate back there. <laughs> this is gonna be good. <laughs> so then the robot, um, the robot swings around. Yeah. Uh, it's got this big thing of chocolate, molten chocolate. Oh yeah. And I can see. Uh, that I'm in danger, I'm guessing, because it's a bunk tech robot. <gasps> it says bunk tech on the side. It's a bunk tech robot arm. Oh, my arm. God. Uh, it's got robots. And the robot then takes the chocolate and dumps it all over me. Oh, no. And it's hot chocolate. <laughs> it's hot chocolate. It's so hot. It's burning my skin. I'm covered in hot chocolate. I'm burning. Instant, another robot comes in with dry ice and it just drops it on top. The the chocolate instantly hardens. And I'm like Han Solo. Oh my god. From the Empire Strikes Back. This has got to be such a fantasy. Frozen for you. in chocolate. This is not the first time that I've been stuck in food like Han Solo. <laughs> Mr. Bunker also did this with barbecue sauce. So I'm frozen. I'm like an Easter bunny. Yeah. Like encased in chocolate. Mm -hmm. Um and another bunk tech robot comes and like lifts me off the floor and drives me to the bunker. As we're driving away, I noticed that I I messed up. I didn't go to the Ghirardelli store. I went to the bunker deli store. Oh my god. So I came back here, I had third degrees all over my third degree burns all over my body. Jeez, no wonder you look so pink. Yeah. Pinker than usual. You're a real Pinkerton. Yeah. I, yeah, I, they busted my head open. <laughs> and I got burns on my penis. <laughs> well, it's not the first or the last time your penis has been burned. I already didn't have a foreskin. Now I don't have a three skin either. <laughs> burned it right off. Jeez. Don't let them get to one. Yeah. I don't know what happens then. <laughs> Wow, Andy, I mean, uh, you had a, I had a fantasy sequence that wasn't real, and you had a fantasy. I had a real fantasy that went bad. That went bad. Yeah. Um, wow. I, 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 I mean, I'd like to say I feel bad for you, but also at the same time, you keep going on these fun trips by yourself. If you had your wife and kid with you, you know, they might be able to be like, hey, this isn't make, a, this, this isn't Ghirardelli. This, this isn't Ghirardelli. This is Bunkadelli, You fucking idiot. Yeah, maybe you're right. <laughs> I'm just saying, Andy. Maybe you're right. Maybe I'm doing it wrong. <laughs> I know you need a little break. I need some me time. You need some me time. I only spend on an average day about ten hours or twelve hours <laughs> away from them. I need some me time on the weekend. 
Well, listeners, uh, as have you ever had to see somebody for two hours a day for several (laughs) days in a row? It's exhausting. Hey, we're in the bunker together for more than two hours. I know. know? It's it's exhausting. Yeah. It's not easy. Listeners, what we do is hard. Feel bad for us. We are abrasive people. We rub each other the wrong way. We're like solvents. I think. I don't know. And anyway, listeners, there's a lot of stuff Andy and I don't know because we're not medical professionals. We're not smart. Why do you keep bringing it up? Yeah. We're not smart. You know, we, we get duped pretty easily. It happens. Look, just because we have an unlicensed medical clinic that we <laughs> want to see patients in doesn't mean that we're doctors. We're unlicensed. We're in it for the money. We want that sweet, sweet cash. Now, Andy, Art? speaking of getting duped, go ahead. There's a lot of people out there who either feel like they're getting duped or are doing the duping. When it comes to today's you're either topic. a duper or a dupee. <laughs> you're either a <laughs> you, me, and dupee. You that's beat me to it. You beat me to it. Okay. <laughs> wow. Look, that's it. Wow. Wow. Oh, wow. so uh. Oh, what are you guys doing here? Wow, Owen Wilson. Hey, it's me. I just skateboarded in. I'm a skateboarder. Wow. Hey, how did you find the bunker? You guys seen my brother? Uh, Luke? I seen him in a movie in a long time. No, I think he might have passed away. <laughs> oh, damn it. Well, that's... at least in celebrity terms. That's sad. Yeah. I think I have another brother, don't I? Well, probably. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm real excited for you guys to get today's topic. Big Pharma, the cure for cancer, alternative medicine, and Gwyneth Paltrow's group. Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's a good friend of mine. Wow. Were you in any movies together? Probably, maybe. <laughs> You've been in a lot of movies. It's probably hard for you I to remember I think she them was all. in the Royal Tenenbaums, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, that's a Wes Anderson movie, and those are the only movies I'm in, besides movies about dogs that die. <laughs> Spoilers for Marley and me. <laughs> you were... You were in the Wedding Crashers. Wow. I remember that one. Wow. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, I got a weird nose. <laughs> you sure do. But uh, you're probably the greatest actor of our generation. Thank you. Wow. Wow. Uh, anyway, I, I just want to say uh, keep up the good work, fellas. Big wow. fans of the Didn't pod. realize you were listening, Owen. Oh, all the time. Wow. Can I call you Owen? Yeah. Neat. Wow. Wow. Um, what is, what's your next big project? Uh, Probably looking for your brother. Yeah. Yeah. It's called the hunt for Luke Wilson. Oh, we directed by Wes Anderson. It's gonna be quirky as hell. So many colors and static shots that are symmetrical. Wow. Is is Gwyneth Paltrow going to be in it? Yeah. Bill Murray's going to be in it. Wow. Uh, that other lady that's always in his movies. Who was in Fargo? I think I would know my co-stars, but I don't. Wow. Yeah, you're kind of self-centered, Owen Wilson. I can't help it. <laughs> You've talked a lot about yourself and your brother, but not a lot about your co-stars. Well, when you're the old man, you get it done. The big O. The big O. You know, when I'm porking chicks, that's what they say. They say, I give them the big O. Yeah. Wow. And then they go, wow. Wow. The penis is huge. Wow. The big O is in the middle of the word Wow. It's wow. That's why I say it so much. Yeah. Wow. 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 Anyway, I'll let you guys get to it. Hey. Hey, thanks. Yeah, you really you really stalled progress on this uh, episode, Owen Wilson. I want to do it. Okay. I'm well, just a chill guy. See you later. Okay. Oh, he skateboarded out. <laughs>
Goodbye, Owen Wilson. Wow. Wow. Owen Wilson. Yeah. Hey, hogging the mic wouldn't let me get a word yeah, in shoved you. Yeah. He's kind of a narcissist. <laughs> shoved you out of the way. Well, what are you going to do? Andy, we can't let Owen Wilson down. That's, we actually have that, uh, Listeners, you don't know this, but Art and I know this because we're in the bunker. We have a, a, a hand-painted sign that hangs in the bunker that says we can't let Owen Wilson down. Yeah, we've got pictures of Owen Wilson all over the words, do it for him. You know, <laughs> you remember that Simpsons episode, everybody. <laughs> so let's get to it, Andy. We got a ton. We got a, oh, we got a whole enchilada to bring. To oh, my God. This is, a, this is an enchilada of mammoth proportions. That's right. This is a prehistoric Jurassic enchilada. Um, let's get to it right here, right now on Mr. Bunkers. Arguably one of the biggest conspiracy topics is that of Big Pharma. You've probably heard jokes mentioned by a friend or comedian you admire, not us, <laughs> whether they inevitably say some giant faceless conglomerate known as Big Whatever is the reason to blame for their sorrows. You know those jokes. You know, maybe maybe you say something like, oh, yeah, he's working for Big Ritz Cracker. That's why our friend eats so many Ritz Crackers. I have heard people say before that Big Mama's House, the movie, was the reason to blame for their sorrows. That's another one. Faceless conglomerate of Tyler Perry. <laughs> no, that was Martin Lawrence. Well, was it? Yeah. Uh, we'll figure that out later. Was Tyler Perry involved? Did you write that movie? I thought Tyler Perry did Lawrence. all those Big Mama movies. No, he did Medea. Big Medea. Tyler, Tyler Perry is the face of Big Medea. Anyway, so I guess it's not a faceless conglomerate. But what exactly is the Big Pharma conspiracy? And what conclusions do theorists draw from it? You know, you've also probably heard of Gwyneth Paltrow and her company Goop. She's been a hot-button topic in the media as of late. How does her brand fit into this conspiracy? Where do alternative medicines play a part in Big Pharma? Listeners, I hope you're hungry. Because we have got a big old plate of the whole enchilada to devour here. But... Let's get some things straightened out first. <clears throat> Number one, a disclaimer. Art and I are not medical professionals. Any and all research and statements given in this program are not a recommendation of what to use as medicine or medical treatment. Furthermore, this episode will mostly revolve around the American healthcare system because that's where this conspiracy is birthed from and that's where we live in. It's what we use. So no, Luxembourg, we won't be discussing your healthcare system, okay? Please stop writing into the bunker email and asking us. We're not going to do it, okay? Knock it off, Luxembourg. Keep listening. We love you. But chill. Chill. Number two. Let's set the dinner table here before we enjoy this whole enchilada course. You OG bunk funkers know that we're giving you the whole dang enchilada on this topic. But goddamn, this here is a grande-sized plate of enchiladas. There's some stuff we'll mention, but we are not here to talk about anti-vax that'll get its own episode although we might touch on it 
We'll cover some medical history and the creation of the pharmaceutical industry. Then we'll deep dive into just what the big pharma conspiracy is, some reasons it exists, and then how it may be suppressing the cure for cancer. Then we'll jump into alternative medicines as an overarching subject. You know, we'll use broad strokes here. And we'll go visit our friend Gwenny P at Goop and stick a couple of jade eggs up our cooters. And then we'll smoke a fat doink out in the Amish and finally hit up the skeptics POV for a late night booty call. Damn, homie, that sounds like a good-ass day. And we didn't even have to use our AK. Hell yeah, homie. So, Bunkfunkers, who's hungry? Who's ready to dive in? All my homies know I love me some history. <laughs> That's where we'll begin. The history of medicine. Let's cover the entire history of medicine. Hey, Andy, let's just do a summarized version. Hmm. I mean, I prepared four years worth of content on the entire history of medicine, but... I mean, guess I I could condense it down. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you yeah. know, literally prepared 35,400 hours of content, mostly recorded on the toilet, but whatever, I huh? guess. Nothing! Hey, speaking of toilets, early medicine was kind of like pissing in a toilet at night. Oh. Sometimes you get it in the bowl, but mostly it lands on the floor and in your mouth. Early medicine was mostly trial and error to understand what herbs and plants could help cure what ailments and which ones were poisonous. Most prehistoric societies just assumed grave diseases were the works of gods or demons inhabiting their bodies. As humanity advanced, it developed writing and we formed organized societies with laws and order. This included medicine. Even the Code of Hammurabi included laws on the practice of medicine. The roots of modern medicine can all be traced back to work done in civilizations in Asia, the Middle East, Greece, and Rome. With the Egyptians, their practice of embalming and mummification led to a lot of writing and study of, of various diseases. There are also records of surgery taking place in ancient Egypt, as well as the practice of dentistry. Egyptian physicians even developed some medications, such as laxatives, that are still used. Wow! Thanks for curing my constipation, ancient Egyptians! <laughs> The ancient Chinese developed several drugs, including arsenic, sulfur, and opium. Hey, more on those later. Oh, baby. That are uh, also still used today. Ancient India developed anesthesia, antidotes for poisonous snake bites, and several surgical techniques, including amputation and the draining of abscesses. Gross. Icky. <laughs> With Hippocrates and the ancient Greeks came the understanding that disease was a natural occurrence and not a supernatural one. He also gave us the Hippocratic Oath which has been adopted by physicians throughout the ages. But, you know, nowadays it's, uh, it typically means doctors just pledge to treat the sick to the best of one's ability, uh, preserve patient privacy, teach the secrets of medicine to the next generation, and so on. If you actually go read the actual Hippocratic Oath, there's some, uh, you know, there's some not modern stuff in it. <laughs> he and um, possibly some uh, physicians in ancient India also had theories on the four humors. Uh, all of which is not something that Andy or I possess. <laughs> no, uh, I've never told said four humorous things in my whole life. That's right. These were essentially four systems that regulated all human behavior. Black bile, yellow bile, phlegm, and blood. Uh, it's not right, according to modern medicine, but, you know, hey, it helped to establish the thought that humans are individuals with their own personalized methods of treatment. The ancient Romans gave further advances in medicine, Roman philosophy contributed to public health, such as clean drinking water, mental health, and even occupational therapy. Romans also made great strides in childbirth by learning about various forms of contraception. Also, 
The first cesarean sections were performed in ancient Rome, as well as a podalic version, which is turning the fetus while still inside the womb to help with difficult birth deliveries. Let's fast forward a scooch to the Renaissance. This is where medicine takes another big leap forward. Schools for the practice of medicine were established and surgeons were trained and studied the human body. The discovery of veins and how blood circulates were established through the first use of the experiment, experimental method. Primitive microscopes were used, the discovery of bacteria, the importance of oxygen, and germ theory were established then as well. The Enlightenment truly had a yearning for learning about the human body and medicine. All right, now let's creep towards the catalyst for the conspiracy. You know, American medicine was still relatively infantile even after the revolution and into the Civil War. You know, and there were few institutions for medicine. Doctors, if, you know, they didn't go overseas to study in the European schools, typically apprenticed under other working physicians until they were ready to practice on their own. You know, eventually, doctors would group together, set up practices, or wealthy individuals saw the need for American medical schools and would set up institutions and so on. But, you know, there was a divide happening. All right, see... In the early 1800s, medicine was still in its infancy, but there was a rift in medical thought between what were referred to as allopathic and homeopathic. These were the two very different schools of thought in medicine. Allopathic medicine is commonly what we see as modern medicine today. It uses the scientific method, modern medicine, drugs, and surgery to suppress or eliminate the effects of disease. But if you were to ask a homeopathic doctor what they think, they would say that allopathic medicine only treats the symptoms and not the cause of the disease. Homeopathic medicine followed more heroic practices of treatment. That is because of the extreme measures sometimes employed to treat diseases. They were founded by Samuel Hahnemann in 1796, and they believed that a substance that causes symptoms of a disease in healthy people would cure similar symptoms in sick people. This doctrine is called similia similibus curentur or like cures like. For example, part of an allopathic treatment for fever may include the use of a drug which reduces the fever, while also in including a drug, you know, such as an antibiotic that attacks the cause of the fever, such as a bacterial infection. A homeopathic treatment for fever, by contrast, is one that uses a diluted dosage of a substance that in a undiluted form would induce fever in a healthy person. Okay. So obviously the homeopaths lost out because, you know, no, no one's calling doctors allopaths. We just refer to them as modern medicine. But, you know, how did, how did that come to be? Well, around the turn of the century, America entered its industrial revolution. Everything was becoming streetlined and factory produced, baby. Including medicine. Woo! Homeopaths were really <clears throat> just any doctor who didn't subscribe to the modern treatment of medicine, i.e. drugs and surgeries. They were still believed in more archaic and natural and, and like ancient remedies that people have been using for a long time, whether they worked or not. Some maybe even still employed practices like bloodletting. So lots of doctors fell under the umbrella of homeopath, whether they ascribed to the whole like cures like thing or not. We'll just use them as an umbrella term to catch everybody who wasn't on the allopath side. Well, with industrialization came the tycoons. And not the fun roller coaster variety. Shout out to Ian. <laughs> Big money tycoons, such as the Carnegies and the Rockefellers, saw the need for a formal, unified system of medicine and saw a means to profit from the industrialization and factory line production of medicine. 
These big money oil men with their fancy suits, top hats, spats, and big cigars sent massive grants to all the top medical schools in the country in return for positions on their boards. Schools received top-notch equipment, better teachers, better facilities, and more. But they skewed the teaching toward pharmaceutical drugs and allopathic medicine and away from any homeopathic treatments or natural remedies. The American Medical Association was formed to ensure that no one other than allopathically trained doctors could practice medicine legally. The drug industry grew out of the patent medicine business and only approved AMA doctors could practice medicine and launched a campaign to smear the homeopathic doctors as so-called quacks. Doctors were becoming trained to prescribe drugs, which in the eyes of a homeopath was merely treating the symptoms and not the cause of the illness. Now, obviously, this reads like a jealous ex-lover or looked-over co-worker, right? The homeopaths <laughs> are mad that the world turns toward industrialized modern medicine and away from methods of treatment that did not involve the scientific method. So, is there any truth to these claims? Well, yeah, kind of. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Allopathic medicine does have a history of attempting to suppress other forms of medicine practice, even methods that are considered modern and viable today. Osteopathic medicine is a branch of United States medicine that is illegally allowed to practice in all 50 states and various countries around the world. The founder of osteopathic medicine was Andrew Taylor Still in 1892, and he founded his branch of medicine for the same reasons as the homeopaths. He felt that quote-unquote modern trend of medicine, that is allopathic, was treating the symptoms and not the disease. He also felt that conventional medical system lacked credible efficacy was, and was morally corrupt. Still believed that disease and uh, psychologic dysfunction were etiologically grounded in a disordered musculoskeletal system. My God, I've never Jeez. heard Art pronounce so many words. Woo, that's a tongue twister. He's going to have to take a nap after this paragraph. Yeah. I'm going to need a beef stick. Thus, by fixing the musculoskeletal system, you could treat the root cause of diseases. The AMA and allopathic practitioners battled the osteopaths for a decade in a battle for the soul of medicine, <laughs> with the AMA actively working to discredit it and label it a cult. The AMA even declared it unethical for an MD or allopath to associate in any way with an osteopath, even though there was no real evidence against osteopaths. Because, you see, this was all taking place during a time when allopathic medicine was treating people with very harsh drugs like arsenic and opium and didn't employ the best hygienic practices we have today. Back then, patients appeared to die from allopathic treatments more than they lived. It wasn't until the 1960s that osteopathic medicine was federally recognized and legally allowed to practice. And in 1969, nice, nice, the AMA finally allowed osteopaths to become a fully recognized members. Obviously, as time went on, osteopaths and allopaths kind of molded into one branch of conventional modern medicine, even though they technically received different degrees, MD for allopaths and DO for osteopaths. MDs still greatly outnumber DOs, and most osteopaths tend to do residencies in MD-related fields. Regardless, we've kind of seen how the AMA in modern medicine has a little bit of dirty laundry, or some dirty scrubs, rather. Mm. How does this play into the Big Pharma conspiracy? What is the Big Pharma conspiracy? Big Pharma, or as we like to call it, Thick Pharma. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. Is a small number of companies that own the entire production of pharmaceutical drugs, and are some of the largest corporations in the world. Johnson & Johnson, Eli Lilly, Pfizer, Novartis, Bayer, Roche, just to name a few. 
These companies pull in so much revenue, it's actually mind-boggling. Boggle. Boggle. In 2019 alone, the top three pharma companies alone pulled in almost $200 billion in revenue. Whew. Sources say that Big Pharma rakes in almost 63% of the entire profits from the healthcare industry. The core of these profits are obvious, the sale of pharmaceutical drugs. And who are the only people allowed to prescribe said drugs? Licensed doctors. That is where the history lesson connects with modern day. You see, they say the super wealthy saw the future of medicine being the industrialization of prescription drugs, and so they quickly formed an exclusionary system that implemented a means to constantly prescribe and sell their drugs. Most of the pharmaceutical industry's marketing efforts and advertising activities are directed to doctors and other medical professionals. These take the form of free gifts, even as early as when first starting medical school. Free lunches, dinners, free samples, sporting event tickets, etc. All free, 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 baby! Oh, it's so free! Oh, 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 oh! God. Uh, something stinks. Uh, Andy did something to his uh, pants. Uh, oops. You ever I saw the movie uh, Love and Other Drugs, which I know Andy hasn't seen? Nope. This was a major part of Jake Gyllenhaal's character's career. He played a drug rep for Pfizer. Who uh, would make so who makes so many fucking drugs? I don't even know to begin where to tell you how many they make, but they famously make Zoloft among thousands of others. Uh, this also takes the form of research papers, research presentations, and pharmaceutical research paid for by the drug companies. So there's a conflict of interest there. They can design the studies and control the data. Not to mention the insane campaign contributions and lobbyists influencing the government. According to Dennis Kucinich, former Ohio Democratic State Representative, Cuyahoga County, uh, the pharmaceutical industry has more lobbyists working to influence Congress than there are members of Congress. And this leads many theorists to believe that Big Pharma has taken over the FDA, the Federal Drug Administration, which oversees and approves all new pharmaceutical drugs for consumption in the USA. Many doctors cite frustrations with the FDA. Medications proven to work in other countries in Europe can take a long time to be approved in the U.S. However, other drugs will go and be fast-tracked through the system, such as Prozac. So the FDA will be scrupulous with some drugs and negligent of others. Furthermore, the FDA only requires research proving that new drugs work against a placebo in clinical trials, not that the drug is better than the older version of said drug. So Big Pharma has a habit of releasing a new and quote-unquote improved drug that Barely works better than its old counterpart. But further evidence for Big Pharma's stranglehold over the FDA can be found with the Prescription Drug User Fee Act of 1992. Since art was literally like six months old when this act was set into law, why don't I, a fully grown man who was 47 years old at the time, tell you about it? Most of the funding for reviewing a drug comes in the form of cash payments directly from the drug company. You see, there was a big stink in the U.S. about how long it took for new drugs to come to market. Consumers were pissed, the drug companies were pissed, and even the FDA was pissed. That's a lot of piss. Big Pharma wouldn't stop complaining about how long it took them to recoup the costs of research and development of these new drugs while they waited for the FDA to approve them so they could start making loads of money. Loads of money. Look at me, fat wad. Loads of dosh doing on me house. Loads of money. Money, money, money. God, I hope someone gets that reference. Please tweet at us if you get it. 
Bunk Funkers, you heard the man. Tweet at us. <laughs> Loads of money. I don't get it. Anywho, the FDA didn't have the staff in order to properly review its massive back catalog of drugs. And Congress wasn't helping them by giving the FDA the sufficient appropriations to hire more workers. In fact, for decades, the FDA had been asking to implement user fees to speed up the process. But Big Pharma actually generally opposed this idea as they were worried their precious money wouldn't actually go towards speeding up drug review processes. The Prescription Drug User Fee Act of 1992 became possible when the FDA and the pharma industry agreed on setting target completion times for reviews and the promise these fees would supplement federal appropriations instead of replacing them. Essentially, pharma companies have lobbied Congress to have them agree that they would pay for the FDA. Due to the fees associated with putting a new drug on the market, they will get quicker approvals, meaning they can make billions more in revenue and profit from putting these drugs on the market, and in return, more people getting ill and hospitalized because these drugs aren't actually helping and they aren't being subject to a conflict-free review process. Now, there's obviously an argument for a major conflict of interest when the drug manufacturer is paying for your operating costs as you review whether the drug is approved or not. Yet, another piece of legislation that gave Big Pharma more control over prescription drugs is Medicare Part D. Uh, enacted as part of the Medicare Modernization Act in 2003, Part D aimed to help Medicare beneficiaries pay for self-administered prescription drugs through prescription drug insurance premiums. It was brought on partially because senior citizens were going to Canada, a for cheaper prescription drugs, as well as lobbying from big pharma companies and U.S. citizens for cheaper drugs. Oh, geez. Oh, geez. Hey, everybody wants cheaper drugs. One of the major, major caveats and pitfalls, arguably, of Medicare Part D is that the federal government is not permitted to negotiate Part D drug prices with drug companies, as federal agencies do in other programs. So that's why you kind of see if Pfizer hikes up the price of a pill a thousand percent, then that's what it costs. Now, Big Pharma is able to control the cost of drugs in the market. No one in the government is allowed to negotiate the cost of the drug in relation to the marketplace value. Here's an example. The drug Sovaldi is used to treat hepatitis C. You need to take one pill, in combination with some others, for 12 weeks to treat hep C. And this drug had a pretty impressive cure rate. Over 67% were cured of their hep C. Sovaldi is produced by one company, Gilead Sciences, in the U.S., they set the price at $1,000 per pill. That's one pill. The entire 12-week treatment can cost up to $84,000. However, this is only the U.S. price. In India, the same company, Gilead Sciences, created a generic of the same exact medication. Its price? $10 per pill. Big Pharma says they need these profits to fund research and development. But in reality, the bulk of new medicine R&D comes from taxpayer-funded government programs or from small bio-research firm that big pharma corps buy up and merge. The drug Gleevec is produced by the big pharma company Novartis. Uh, it is used to treat types of cancer, namely forms of leukemia, a.k.a. cancer in your blood. Uh, it was approved for use in 2001 by the FDA, and it was so revolutionary that it is on the World Health Organization's list of essential medicines, which are all considered to be some of the most effective and safe medications in the world at treating their diseases. Novartis, in 2016, set the price of the drug at $120,000 a year. By this time, 15 years since its introduction, they had well recouped their development price and then some. 
And another note on that, Novartis didn't research or invent the drug. A man named Brian Ducker, with the help of many other researchers at universities and publicly funded institutions, um, invented it. Yet Novartis still feels they need to set the price for R&D costs. It goes without saying that, you know, Big Pharma's in bed with Washington. They control the drug prices and that the review slash approval process. What other aspects of healthcare has Big Pharma got its tendrils wrapped around like a sick hentai porn? <laughs> uh, Art and I are going to break down the main grievances with the pharma industry. Starting with, they're renaming, rebranding of non-existent and or old maladies so consumers believe their conditions are worse or the result of a disease. And what will cure them? Pills! Pills here! Got a, got a bunch of pills here. God, I hope someone gets that reference. Please, someone out there has to understand art. Because I don't. I have no idea what's happening. <laughs> anyway, Big Pharma often uses their advertising campaigns to coin new maladies or rename old maladies to increase the number of prescriptions written for their drugs. For example, restless leg syndrome, or RLS. RLS is pretty common in many people. It's usually caused by stress, lack of sleep, overuse of caffeine, stimulants, alcohol, H2 histamine blockers, antidepressants. Honestly, much of it is a result of our stressful modern world, where folks might need to work two or three jobs to keep afloat. It wasn't as common back in the day when folks usually worked one job for most of their lives. However, that didn't stop Big Pharma from advertising the pharmaceutical drug Requip as a treatment for RLS. Requip, by the way, is mainly used to treat Parkinson's disease and comes with so many potential side effects, they make restless leg syndrome look like a harmless itch. But once these commercials hit the American telly and the nice, happy couple tell you, do you have trouble sleeping at night? You might have RLS. The prescriptions for that drug go through the roof. In fact, the very act of rebranding RLS, or excuse me, as restless leg syndrome as RLS is another tactic that pharmaceutical companies utilize to advertise drugs to you. Punchy three to four letter acronyms are not only easier to remember, but they're catchier. Nobody did the ice bucket challenge to raise awareness for amyotropic lateral sclerosis or sclerosis. I can't even say it. They did it for ALS. Wow. So much easier for me to yeah, say. <laughs> you did it so well before. <laughs> yeah, well, Back to form now. One out of two. Yeah. Here's an example for Big Pharma. Erectile dysfunction. Oh, baby. Not some. We've got it. You know we've got oh, it. Okay, I was gonna go a different way. Oh, <laughs> not some for two hogged out maniacs like Andy and I. Her penises work great. <laughs> anyway, they came up with this malady and its much catch catchier acronym ED. They also came up with the pills with the funny quote: "If you have an erection lasting longer than four hours," trope that is so often parodied in comedy, <laughs> especially by hacks like us. Oh, I use it in every joke I tell. Low T naturally occurs in men as they get older but they're creating a problem surrounding it because of the pill they have. Now, let's be fair. In a way, this is like a chicken or the egg scenario, or I guess the pill or the horny old man. Which came first? Not the old man, Art. He couldn't get a wicked hard boner and shoot his dusty load into his wife's Sahara desert puss. <laughs> Jesus. And you're right, Art. I don't have this problem. I've got so much tea, they call me Mr. T. Oh, I pity the fool. <laughs> but I see what you mean, Art. Do we want drugs to cure stuff and they're just giving us what we're asking for? Or are they advertising this shit to us to make us think we need it? 
Here's an example for all the ladies out there. Yaz! Yaz, queen! <laughs> Yaz was a medication marketed to treat PMDD, or premenstrual dysphoric disorder, which is much like a much more intense and serious PMS. The Yaz advertisements were geared in such a way that they made consumers think, oh, it's not just a PMS, it's not just PMS, I have PMDD. When in reality, they may or may not. Those are your only options. Uh, PMS symptoms can often be uh, uncomfortable or painful. It may not always mean PMDD. But the commercials tend to make consumers think, this totally normal occurrence happening in my body or something happening because of lack of diet and exercise and sleep and well-being is actually a medical condition. That's why I just need to take this one easy pill and get fixed. Yaz, Yasmin, and other PMDD drugs actually came under scrutiny when they were found to cause severe blood clots and there was a large class action lawsuit against them. A lot of this falls under the banner of a big pharma tactic called off-labeling. You see, prescription drugs in the U.S., their patents only last for 20 years. So when the patent is almost up and generics will start to be produced, meaning, you know, the big pharma companies stand to lose money from not controlling that market on that drug, drug companies will attempt to sell the drug for diseases it is not approved to treat, selling them, quote, off-label. This is illegal, and I repeat, they literally sell the drugs as cures for diseases they are not intended to treat. One particular case was Zyprexa, a medication used to treat schizophrenia. Zyprexa, Zyprexa was off-label marketed towards the elderly. The drug, which is licensed for the treatment of schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, was widely promoted by Eli Lilly, a major pharmaceutical company, between September 1999 and November 2003 to treat more common disorders such as dementia, agitation, aggression, depression, and sleep problems. Again, the FDA did not approve it to be, treat to be treated for these things or anyone over 65. And even then, you had to have schizo schizophrenia diagnosis if you were under 65 to get this drug. But pharma reps marketed the drug to primary care physicians who, you know, could twist, not necessarily knowing what they were doing, but twist the meanings of the diagnosis. For example, if an elderly patient comes in and they say they're stressed, well, Stress is kind of a blanket term that could encompass a lot of different stuff. You can see how certain doctors can start stretching it like, well, I'm stressed. Like, maybe I'm having delusions. Maybe, maybe they're delusions. Well, delusions can lead to schizophrenia, which can lead to prescribing Zyprexa. You might think, all right, well, what the fuck, Art? You're full of shit. And I am. That's true. My colon. Right. But these companies are literally selling their drugs for legal off-label uses and they're not getting in trouble for it? Wrong. They are. Checkmate. <laughs> Checkmate. They are just don't give a fuck. <laughs> they do not get criminally charged for it, but instead they just tend to settle for whatever seems like large amounts, hundreds of millions of dollars. But to the drug companies, it pales in comparison to what they make off selling the drugs off-label. They might make billions of dollars in off-label profits. So a couple of hundred million hit is like a drop in the bucket. You know, not to mention all the diseases, side effects, can happen from taking drugs that aren't in, you aren't intended to take can cause and will lead to people having to take other medications for other diseases and therefore more profit. In the Eli Lilly and Zyprexa case, it was found that over 50% of the drugs prescriptions were going toward elderly off-label patients on Medicaid. This was at an extreme cost to the state and an extreme detriment to the victim's health. 
Eli Lilly agreed to pay $1.4 billion in the resulting lawsuit about Zeprex's off-label prescriptions. This resolution includes a criminal fine of $515 million, the largest ever in a healthcare case, and the largest criminal fine for an individual corporation ever imposed in a United States criminal prosecution of any kind. Eli Lilly also paid up to $800 million in a civil settlement with the federal government and the states. But it doesn't matter when you made well over that from prescribing it off-label. Look at it this way. Approximately 20 million people have taken Zyprexa since its introduction in 1996. Zyprexa costs an average $500 to $1,000 a month per person. All that on Medicare's dime. So do I even need to do the math on this one? I hope not, because I can't. (laughs) 20 million people at $1,000 a month for seven years? The drug companies won't do illegal activities unless they know the cost and can weigh that against the profits. Another knock against Big Pharma is ghostwriting. And no, listeners, ghostwriting is not as fun as having a cool, funny, you know, maybe sexy and a smart librarian way ghost that is really passionate about creative writing. I wish that was what ghostwriting was. Yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be cool as hell. And if anybody remembers the show Ghostwriter that played on Noggin, tweeted us another reference. This involves the practice of big pharma companies paying doctors to do really poor research or analysis about their drugs and give it a glowing review. This is little more than just a form of advertisement and an attempt to have their drugs slip into the cracks of the AMA and reputable medical journals. Hell, sometimes they don't even need an established medical journal. They'll just make their own. Merck, a big pharma company, used Elsevier. Elsevier? Elsevier? Elsevier. It's uh, probably Elsevier. Elsevier, a publishing company, to set up a medical journal called the Australasian Journal of Joint and Bone Medicine, a journal filled with various bogus forms of ghostwriting, a claim that Merck has denied, of course. Then there's the topic of publication bias. You see, big pharma companies carry out their own clinical trials to judge the efficacy of their drugs. They must register these trials in a database by law, but they are not required to disclose the results. This enables them to inflate the effectiveness of a drug because they can hide the negative trial data. Let's shift our focus to another issue with Big Pharma, that they are responsible for the overprescription of pharmaceutical drugs in our country. According to the documentary American Addict, the USA consumes over 50% of the world's pharmaceuticals and 80% of the world's prescription narcotics. The government tends to focus on the supply trafficking of drugs. This does not address the desire for the misuse of drugs. One of the largest drugs that victims desire to use or abuse are opioids. Consequently, it's also one of the drugs that Big Pharma loves to prescribe the most, despite the fact that it was an epidemic in the U.S. claiming countless lives. According to the Center for Disease Control, 46 people die every day from overdoses involving prescription opioids. In 2017, prescription opioids continued to contribute to the epidemic in the U.S., They were involved in more than 35% of all opioid overdose deaths. The most common drugs involved in prescription opioid overdose deaths include methadone, oxycodone, which you'll see as Oxycontin, or its street name, Oxy. Uh, God, I sound like such a dork. And hydrocodone, Uh, which you see as Dare Officer Art. (laughs) Don't do drugs, kids. Don't do Oxy or Vikes. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know what they call fucking in. While opioid prescriptions are on the decline, however, 
In 2017, the rate was still 58 opioid prescriptions for every 100 Americans. Arguably the epicenter for opioid prescriptions in the heyday of the epidemic was Broward County, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Doctors would open pain clinics all over the country, and it became incredibly easy to simply walk into the clinic, say a certain body part hurt, and walk out with perfectly legal prescription narcotics. In 2008, 67% of the nation's oxycodone that was put out came from Broward County. Big Pharma has had its hand in this from the beginning. Even recently, a software company called Practice Fusion was paid by a major opioid manufacturing company to design a pop-up window, which would appear whenever doctors would access a patient's electronic file asking about the patient's level of pain. This... This, uh, this pop-up alert appeared harmless enough. However, the drop-down menus on the program would list treatments ranging from referrals to a pain specialist or to a prescription for an opioid painkiller. Software was used by tens of thousands of doctors' offices from 2016 to spring 2019, and the alert went off about 230 million times, all in an effort to boost prescriptions for addictive pain pills. Two other areas in which drugs are often overprescribed and misused are Adderall with ADHD and various depression medication. Adderall is like a close cousin of amphetamine, and their histories and abuse are strangely paralleled. In World War II, most pilots and soldiers on both sides of the war took a form of amphetamine, and it reached a peak in the 1960s. It was called Benzedrine, and it was marketed everywhere, much like opioids. It was considered some new wonder drug. It was commonly referred to as speed due to the fact that it amped you up, gave you energy, and made you focus. It wasn't until the 1970s with the passage of the Controlled Substances Act that amphetamine became a Schedule II drug and needed a prescription to obtain. Adderall is following a similar path with plenty of college students, executives, and people working in fast-paced, stressful jobs misusing and abusing the drug, which is not hard to get. In 1990, 600,000 children were on stimulants. In 2011, it was 3.5 million. One third of children with ADHD received the diagnosis before age six. Adderall does work. However, it can have serious side effects, including cardiovascular risks, psychosis, and addiction. There is also a bit of a myth with Adderall. The singular effect that these drugs have on us is that they make us believe that we are doing better. They don't actually add anything to our cognition. They don't make you smarter. Contrary to the drug's reputation, in essence, they make you stay up later and they make you concentrate on something easier, but they make you feel good. And since you feel good, you perform better. The placebos in various Adderall clinical trials had the exact same effect as the drug. The area of depression medication can be even worse. The direct-to-consumer advertising of antidepressant drugs are some of the most egregious forms of drug advertising. Patients frequently will come in seeking the specific depression drugs they see on TV, whether their level of depression calls for them or not. One example, and yet another example of off-label marketing, is Abilify, a drug used to treat severe psychosis and schizophrenia and can, with other medication, be helpful in treating severe depression, but it's being marketed directly to people with depression. Eli Lilly's PR department came up with the idea that depression is caused simply by an imbalance of chemicals in the brain, and therefore you just need their drug Prozac to stop it. Mental health is a complex hodgepodge of causes, 
Now, this isn't to say that these medications can't or haven't ever helped anyone in the past. However, the marketing used by the manufacturers makes it seem like this one simple pill fixes all your problems. And that's not the case. Many of these medications, especially serotonin reuptake inhibitors, can have serious side effects on your brain chemistry. Great segue, Art. I bet you look hella fly riding around the mall with it. Also, that's a nice transition into our next subject, drug advertisements. <laughs> Currently, only the USA and New Zealand legally allow direct-to-consumer pharmaceutical drug advertisements. Oh, yes. Kiwis, welcome to our hell. <laughs> Like, yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. It's okay. New Zealand, let us know. How was Andy's accent? Yeah, for all you New Zealanders out there, let me know. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, Kiwis? Yes. Yes. <sighs> Direct-to-consumer advertising is considered a free speech right here in the U.S. There is some evidence to suggest that allowing this means that patients in the U.S. are more likely to talk to their doctors and ask them questions about prescriptions. However, there is even more evidence to suggest that it makes consumers request a specific drug. According to a colleague of ours, who is a nurse at a major hospital, drug advertisements do indeed influence patients to request that drug. And they also can scare patients away from a prescription drug due to the long lists of side effects that the commercials are required to, by law, list out. Overall, our colleague states that drug advertising can make them more aware, but also hopefully a more informed consumer. New research led by Ian Larkin, assistant professor of strategy at UCLA Anderson School of Management, and George Lowenstein, a, the Herbert A. Simon Professor of Economics and Psychology at Carnegie Mellon University, indicates that physicians at practices that included limits on marketing to doctors subsequently changed their prescribing behavior. They found that physicians practicing at medical centers that introduced restrictions on pharmaceutical salespeople subsequently reduced their tendency to pre prescribe drugs that were the subject of sales calls and increased their prescribing of generic drugs in the same drug class. You can read the full study in our show notes. And with that, whew, Andy, we're ready to dive into the second course of the whole enchilada on the big pharma topic. The theory that the cure for cancer exists, but is being suppressed by the pharmaceutical industry. Andy? Are you ready to deliver seconds to all our hungry friends out there? Art, I have my plastic gloves, my apron, my hairnet, my pube net, my internet, my butterfly net, and my fishnet stockings. So I'm very ready to serve up some whole enchilada, as well as do my sexy doctor slash soup kitchen worker burlesque routine. It's hot. I've seen it. It's hot. One and a half stars. <laughs> out of two. <laughs> This will be the piece that helps us transition into alternative medicine as well, my darling bunk funkers. As Art said, theorists believe that the cure for cancer exists or has existed, and this leads to the suppression of existing cures or ancient cures like alternative medicine. Because chemotherapy drugs, chemotherapy being one of the most common cancer treatments aside from surgery and radiation, are among the most expensive drugs on the market. It's hard to pinpoint the exact amount as they can vary between the type of cancer, your insurance, where you get treated, and what your treatment is. But brain cancer, for example, can cost over $100,000 on average. According to the AARP, that's the American Association of Retired People, uh, 11 of the 12 cancer drugs that the Food and Drug Administration approved in 2012 
were priced at more than $100,000 per year. New treatments are always in high demand and cancer is hard to treat. It's not like other diseases which can be reduced significantly with lifestyle changes. It also doesn't help that healthcare expenses are a leading cause of bankruptcy in the U.S. So let's get back into the conspiracy zone here. The Medicare Modernization Act of 2003, remember that? <laughs> it gave us Medicare Part D. Well, here's another fun caveat it added. Doctors receive a kickback for prescribing specific cancer treatments. Yes, that's right. In fact, the more expensive a medication is, the more your doctor gets paid to administer it in their office. As a result, really expensive medications that can be administered in a doctor's office or at an infusion center are really popular with certain doctors. Here's how it works. Doctors who administer medications in their office receive a 6% commission on the price of any medication they administer. Typically, this is a average sales price plus 6%. This add-on percentage is, to be fair, intended to cover the costs associated with procuring, storing, administrating, tracking, and obtaining reimbursement for drugs and does not constitute profit. However, the very fact that there is a kickback involved from prescribing leads many theorists red flags to go off. But then again, Big Pharma's pumping out new cancer treatments constantly, and the newest, most modern treatments always cost the most, and, you know, when you have a life-threatening disease, what do you want? You want the new, you want the old, you want the new. I want it just to be over. <laughs> well, if you're Andy, yikes. Uh, you got a lot more problems than just that. <laughs> this I leads, have a lot of problems. <laughs> this leads many theorists to, to believe there is a conflict of interest, right? Why would these global elite companies allow a cure for cancer and give up this cash cow industry? I don't get why people say cash cow. Cows aren't full of cash. I've checked. They're full of milk and ground beefs and steaky yum-yums. Yeah, what the fuck? They're not money pinatas. That's what I'm saying, dude. <laughs> anyway, all right. So the global big pharma companies don't want us to know about a cure for cancer. Is there any evidence for this? Any notable examples of big pharma stepping in to obstruct so-called cancer cures? Let's look at a handful. There sure is. Starting with Renee uh, Kess and her cure, Essiac. In 1922, in a small town in northern Ontario, Canada, Renee Kess learned of a cancer remedy she called Asiac, which is a concoction of herbs and also her last name spelled backwards. Aw. Aw. Cute. Renee Kess was a Canadian nurse who used Asiac to allegedly treat thousands of people throughout her life. She first learned about the tea during a conversation with a patient, an older English woman. Renee noticed a scar on her breast, uh, the woman's breast, not Renee's own breast. She didn't have her breasts exposed during this examination. It was the woman's breast. The woman told Renee about her uh, trip uh, from England to northern Ontario and how she had developed swelling and pain in her breast during that time. An old Native American medicine man had told her that she had cancer and that he could heal her. Skeptical of his claims, however, she decided to seek medical attention and... After traveling to southern Ontario, eh, the old English woman was diagnosed with advanced cancer. She had cancer of her advanced. This isn't regular darkness. This is advanced darkness. Ah, I hope someone gets that reference. Jeez. The doctor suggested that her breast be removed completely. At this time, this woman and her husband were very poor. And, you know, when given the choice of losing a breast or trying the medicine man's remedy, 
She saw no reason why she wouldn't at least give it a try. The English woman sought out the consultation of the medicine man and began taking the medicine as a treatment for her cancer. To her shock, it worked. Renee wrote down the names of the plants and herbs to concoct her own cancer cure. Well, sometime later, Renee learned her aunt had been diagnosed with cancer. She used this formula to treat her aunt of cancer, and it allegedly worked, and her aunt lived for another 21 years. Afterwards, Renee quit working at the hospital and began her own practice treating people with her Essiac formula. However, she was only allowed to treat patients who had been formally diagnosed by a registered physician and then allowed to go to her clinic. And so Renee got to work treating patients with her Essiac cure. After some time, Dr. Leonardo, uh, a turtle doctor, uh, <laughs> who was also a cancer surgeon from Buffalo, along with five other cancer doctors, reviewed her work and told her that she did indeed have a cure for cancer. But the medical industry will never let her, quote, do this to us, end quote. Ominous. Very ominous. Sounds like he was going to pull out his sword and hack her to bits. Sounds like it might have been Shredder. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he dumped all that paperwork in the Shredder, that's for sure. <laughs> Afterwards, a mysterious group of entrepreneurs showed up offering Renee one million dollars. <laughs> For the secret to her cure. But she refused because there was no guarantee that it would be given to people for free. Renee's Essiac cure was called before Canadian legislature in 1938 to determine its legal status. Former patients took to the streets and got 55,000 signatures on a petition to legalize the cure. But when she went before the legislature, she lost by three votes. Public outcry over this verdict led to a to the creation of a cancer commission to determine the efficacy of various herbal remedies for cancer. The majority of Renee's evidence was rejected by the commission, stating that the doctors had mistaken her cancer patient's diagnosis, and that's why the SEAC cured them. They didn't actually have cancer, according to the commission. This was, after all, the 1930s. Medical diagnosis and treatment wasn't as advanced as it is today. But Renee just kept on trucking. Uh -uh. She continued her clinic until the day the medical profession stopped allowing doctors to diagnose patients and then let them go to her clinic. Renee was heartbroken about this and had a bit of a nervous breakdown in her own words about seeing ill patients and having to turn them away and not being able to treat them. <clears throat> but after recovering from her breakdown, Renee started again, brewing the herbal mixture in her basement and treating patients out of her home. The authorities began to harass and arrest her on multiple occasions. SEX fame grew and eventually crossed the border to the good old USA, where in 1958, she was invited by a clinic in Massachusetts to scientifically test her herbal remedy as a cure for cancer. The director of the clinic was Dr. Charles Brush, who, fun fact, was President JFK's personal physician. Mm, so he's a good doctor. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. As far as we know, all of his patients die. <laughs> okay. Tess concluded that SEAC was non-toxic and did indeed aid in the treatment of cancer. Thus, he recommended that the drug be tested further for toxicity and validity for approval by the FDA and the research of the herbs were sent, I'm sorry, the research and the herbs were sent to Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, a premier research institute in NYC and in the entire country. But when the good good arrived, the research was suddenly bogged down by inexplicable delays and a conclusion was never found. Essiac thus was never approved by the FDA. Various groups of supporters for the remedy took to the streets in protest, and some even went as far as suing the medical industry. But the medical profession did not budge. 
They reinforced that the same methods of cancer treatment, surgery, radiation, and chemo were the only treatments doctors could or should use. Renee went back home to Canada and continued to treat patients with ESIAC until the day she died in 1978. Let's move on to another uh, cancer cure claimer. Triple C, Harry Hoaxy. Story follows uh, Renee's in a way, except Harry was a big, bold, brass, Texas businessman. Yeah! Yeah! And where Renee was a modest nurse, Harry was a big, brass, loud businessman with loads of money. Yahoo! <laughs> Harry's father supposedly discovered a cure for cancer and other ailments and called it the hoaxy therapy. Uh, the treatment consists of a caustic herbal paste for external cancers or a herbal mixture for internal cancers, combined with laxatives, douches, vitamin supplements, and dietary changes. Mm. Oxy developed his first clinic in Taylorville, Illinois. He would eventually open up 17 clinics across the U.S., including one in Dallas that would become one of the largest privately owned cancer centers in the world. However... Hoaxy ran into plenty of legal troubles from practicing medicine without a license and would frequently close up shop and open up in another town. Uh, he did win a lawsuit against the AMA for libel and fraud, though, but his research was routinely denied by major medical review boards. And in 1960, the Hoaxy therapy was banned in the USA. One of Hoaxy's longtime nurses, with his approval, opened a treatment center in Tijuana, Mexico, hmm. where it still operates to this day. Uh, before the both of them, though, was Max Gerson. Born in Germany in 1881, Gerson always wanted to be a doctor. So he worked at it until he eventually became one. That's how things work. A true German success story. Gerson was experimenting with a treatment for migraines and tuberculosis. And what he claimed he found was that his therapy also cured cancer. The Gerson therapy consists of consuming a predominantly vegetarian diet, including hourly glasses of organic juice and various dietary supplements. Animal-based proteins are strictly prohibited. In addition, patients receive uh, enemas of castor oil and sometimes hydrogen peroxide or ozone and coffee. The best part of waking up is full just up your butt. Goddamn, there is nothing like waking up at the crack of dawn and then shooting that hot bean juice right up your anus. Anywho. Anywho. I'm waiting for that Folgers commercial where, uh, you know, it's like the people are, it's the holidays yeah. and the man and the wife are, the husband and wife, they're at home and one of their moms is staying and, you know, it's late at night and they brew up a hot pot of coffee yeah. and they give the mom an enema. <laughs> Folgers, we classic, got some ideas. Classic holiday memory. Anywho, Gerson apparently cured many people in Germany of many different ailments using his therapy. <clears throat> Excuse me. But he left Germany when the Nazis took power in the 1930s. He arrived in the USA in 1936 and passed the medical board examination as well as his citizenship test. He began to treat cancer patients using Gerson therapy and claimed to have great results. Theorists believe that the AMA came after and actively disparaged the Gerson therapy because Gerson was an outspoken critic of the harmful effects of smoking. Philip Morris, the tobacco manufacturer, was a major advertising partner of the AMA at the time. Gerson eventually published a book on his findings, which included 50 patients he believed were cured of cancer from Gerson therapy. He died in 1959. Later in the 70s, his daughter opened up the first Gerson Institute in San Diego, California, where it is still open today. 
as well as Gerson clinics in Tijuana, Mexico. There are lots more alleged cures out there, and most follow a similar tune to Gerson, Hoaxie, and Renee, such as Gerd Hammer. Gerd Hammer. Hammer. A German former physician, uh, now dis... What do, you, what do you call when they get dis... They're not disbarred, they're... Uh, um, revoked? Uh, a revoked lost physician. lost his license. Yeah, he lost his license. He was turned, defrocked. Defrocked. Turned alternative medicine believer and also very anti-Semitic. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Yikes. He created a methodology of alleging, allegedly curing cancer called Germanic New Medicine, uh, which has five... Yeah, that sounds anti-Semitic. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yep. He uh, has five rules all built around the idea that all disease is a result of un- some untreated psychological trauma. Then there's a uh, latril, a.k.a. B17, a.k.a. amygdalin. Amygdalin is a bitter substance found in fruit pits, such as apricots, raw nuts, lima beans, clover, and sorghum. <laughs> it makes hydrogen cyanide, which is changed into cyanide when taken into the body. People believe that hydrogen cyanide is thought to kill cancer cells. I believe it. As well as many other things. <laughs> yeah. Shark it kills cartilage. lots of cells. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, shark cartilage has been thought of to allegedly uh, cure cancer. Shark cartilage is capitalized here. Is that a proper name? No, some that's guy, just... Uh, some guy named Shark Cartilage? <laughs> is that... Hey, I'm Shark Cartilage. <laughs> no, that's just... Uh, Art doesn't know how to type oh, as much okay, as he can okay. know how to read. All right, okay, cool. <laughs> just checking. To allegedly cure cancer as well, Shark Cartilage is believed to be naturally anti-aneogenic. Uh... Damn it. Anti- Anti-angiogenic. Anti- yeah, I said it right, right? Yeah, yeah, close, close yeah. enough. And sharks themselves rarely get cancer. <laughs> Mistletoe, Andy, isn't just for getting a little smooch around the holiday. But it's great for that. Oh, yeah. It apparently can- <laughs> <laughs> little, little, Nothing I love more than getting a little coffee enema under the mistletoe. Sweet, a sweet kiss and a coffee enema. <laughs> uh, mistletoe can apparently also cure cancer. Famously, actress Suzanne Summers. Claims she treated her breast cancer with Iskador, a drug made from mistletoe extract. If you'd, if you'd like to see Suzanne Summers' breasts, you can see them. She did, she did Playboy twice in the seventies, I think, or the eighties. I don't remember. Full cover. <laughs> so, I don't know why I decided to include that caveat. Was, I saw it while researching. This was her. good research. You know what? You know, hey, look, we give you, give the people we give you the whole enchilada. <laughs> and finally, another revoked former Italian physician. He's still Italian, but he's not a physician anymore. <laughs> Lost his Italian citizenship. <laughs> well, they probably wish. Tullio Simonici is an avid believer that cancer is actually caused by fung- the fungus Candida albicans. Uh... Uh, and has argued that cancer is just a form of candida overgrowth. Candida albicans is a opportunistic pathogenic yeast, which can be found in most adult gut flora, most human adult gut flora. Simonici believes that cancer can be treated by injections of sodium bicarbonate. None of the alleged cures we have mentioned here have stood up to or passed scientific clinical trials. Thus, they all fall into the category known as alternative medicine. Bunk Funkers, part three of our topic today concerns alternative medicine as a whole. Now, there is a ton of ground to cover here, and given how much enchilada we've already dished out, we can't possibly cover it all. Are you crazy? Are you that starved for the whole enchilada? 
Is there no satiation to your greedy little appetites? <laughs> Anywho, we're going to cover the alternative medicine as a broad topic. Honestly, a lot of medicines could be their own topic one day. But then we'll take a laser focus on goop before we wrap this all up. The way alternative medicine relates to Big Pharma is that substances from nature cannot be patented. Thus, Big Pharma does not have an interest in studying these drugs because if they found cures with them, it's not like they can be patented anyway. Other companies would be free to make the same cures and they would lose their monopoly. Also, the FDA says it's illegal to use such cures unless it's been tested for efficacy and safety. Alternative medicine goes by a couple of different names. Holistic medicine, complementary medicine, integrative medicine, to name a few. Not all alternative medicine is bad. In fact, it can be beneficial. For example, here's a few that have some substantial scientific data behind them. You know, you got your massage therapy, some chiropractors, marijuana, neti pots, and osteopathy. All are examples of alternative medicine treat means of treatments that can and do work and 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 have some kind of beneficial element, right? You know, marijuana, for example, is a huge topic that is being used more and more in the legal medical field for pain relief and appetite balance, as well as, you know, hell, you could do a whole fucking series about hemp. Anyway. You know, hemp, it doesn't have THC. doesn't have THC. Same, yeah, so. It's a, it's, it's a crop that can be used for a lot of different things. Crop. It's an industrial crop. It's not related to this topic in any way. I don't I know mean, why I brought it up. I use hemp as a supplement, but... I It's in my oatmeal. I've got this hemp oatmeal. Hemp meal? It's fine. Anyway. You heard it here first, Burke. Then there's potentially provable. These are items that, you know, can or cannot work. It's a mixed bag here. Most of the time, they fall into harmless. But there's, a, you know, there's some potential for danger. For example, mm -hmm. herbal supplements. That's a big one. Mm-hmm. These are probably the biggest, right? So some are can actually be very effective and safe. There's a lot of research behind them. Vitamin D, fish oil, ashwagandha. But with herbals, you have to be careful about how much you're ingesting, especially given, you know, the lax regulations over the supplement industry. That's another topic for another day. Some other examples, oil pulling, salt therapy, biofeedback therapy. And the list goes on. Aromatherapy, homeopathy, cupping, magnetic field, acupuncture, DMSO, ear candling, faith healing, inversion therapy, male enhancement capsules, capsules, hypnosis, vaginal steaming, osteopathy again. And now things considered dangerous by most, if not all scientific communities. Black salve, a paste made from blood root that is said to, quote, draw out cancer cells and tumors known for causing massive disfiguration. Latrile. Coffee enemas, new Germanic medicine, trepanation. This is uh, drilling a hole in your skull intentionally to relieve pressure. <laughs> uh, sun gazing, bloodletting, rebirthing, dynamic, dynastic gymnastics. Sorry, dynastic gymnastics. You know what? Actually, go look this one up for yourself and, and see how long you last. <laughs> uh, I'll just, I'll throw this at you. It's illegal in every country except Russia. <laughs> so take with that what you will. Yeah. And Google it though. You'll have fun. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's one particular video. See how long you last. I can tell Art's very, uh, I, I wasn't as much, but Art is very discomfortable. Uh, it made me very uncomfortable. Anyway, we'll talk about it later. Does alternative medicine have a place in modern healthcare? Well, Andy and I again reached out to a, that colleague of ours who shall not be named to protect their identity. Of course. But they are a nurse working in a major hospital in the U.S. 
Here's what they had to say. Alternative medicine absolutely does have a place with Western medicine. The focus being its use with medicine that has scientific evidence behind it that shows it works for medical diagnoses. Pseudoscience can hurt medicine when people try to replace medicine with pseudoscience. Like when they say their essential oils is helping their type 1 diabetes. Those people need insulin for life. And they need to understand the fact that they will need that specific medication in order to live. However, they should still be able to have the option of using some other pseudoscience, herbal medications, oils, whatnot, along with their insulin, as long as it doesn't have any unwarranted interactions with a medication they need to live. So pseudoscience has a place with medicine as long as it doesn't interact with the medicine keeping people alive. And as long as the patient has some understanding that it is that its use is in conjunction with scientifically proven medicine. What they're getting at here is pseudoscience can make you feel good. Sure. If your crystals make you feel good, then feeling good is good. Yeah. That's it. As long as it's harmless. As long as it's harmless. Well, goop. Actress Gwyneth Paltrow's, quote, wellness <laughs> and lifestyle company is attempting to do just that. They believe they are breaking new ground in the field of alternative treatments and medicines. But don't take my word for it. Here's what their website says. Quote, in 2008, Gwyneth Paltrow launched Goop from her kitchen as a homespun weekly newsletter. It's grown a lot since then. We operate from a place of curiosity and non-judgment. And we start hard conversations, crack open taboos, and look for connection and resonance everywhere we can find it. We don't mind being the tip of the spear. In short, we go first so you don't have to. We're glad you're here. End quote. Goop has been a hot-button topic recently, especially with the launch of Goop Labs, a show essentially about Goop employees, quote, experimenting with alternative medicine and the Goop lifestyle on Netflix. But what is it about Goop that has people so worked up? What has gotten it into trouble? Gwyneth Paltrow, what's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Well, Goop offers a lot of advice on wellness, fashion, home goods, etc. I mean, there's a ton of stuff on there. It's not just alternative medicine. But their catalog of alternative medicine treatments include vaginal steaming. Now, this is the practice of dropping trow and squatting over a steaming hot bowl of various herbs and water and letting all that steam clean out your veg. Coffee enemas. Hey, where have we seen this before? In our dreams. <laughs> In our dreams. Magic crystals. Magic crystals that allegedly have strong healing powers. One of their top options is a water bottle with a magic crystal inside. Psychic vampire repellent. Now, from my cursory research of it, it seems that psychic vampires are just like a stand-in for toxic people who draw, who draw your positive vibes away. But maybe they're also actual vampires. I don't know. I, you know, I maybe I should have done a little bit more research there. Jade eggs. These are allegedly ancient Chinese practices where women shove a jade egg up their vaginas. And I don't, I want to say, I think they had to take it down from their website. I don't think it's listed there anymore. I couldn't find it, but maybe I'm just bad. No, no. I think that that th there was because they got stuck, right? Right. The jade eggs in particular caused Goop to be hit with a $140,000 fine in 2018 due to their false claims about what these jade eggs would and could do, including balance your hormones, regulate your menstrual cycles, prevent Utrine prolapse and help bladder control. Goop has taken a lot of flack over the years from various OB, OBGYNs. 
<laughs> and truth in advertising campaigns. Why is OBGYNs funny? Oh, it's funny because you spelled it O-G-B-Y-N's. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Oh, arts of feminist. OBGYNs <laughs> and the tr and truth in advertising campaigns. Uh, one of the leading critics of Goop is Dr. Jen Gunter, who has consistently attacked Goop's practices and believes it is causing more harm to the world's medical IQ and is promoting pseudoscience. Dr. Gunter has reviewed all of Goop's 161 products, uh, this was in 2018, that exact number, to prove whether Goop's claims that all their products are pseudoscience-free. Gunter found that 90% were pseudoscience. In retaliation, Goop released an article titled Uncensored, a word from our contributing doctors, in an attempt to silence critics like Gunter, which is a uh, essentially a scathing rebuttal, including messages from many doctors that support the Goop brand, including Dr. Stephen Gundry and Dr. Aviva Ram, all of whom have their own drama involved with their beliefs. Regardless, Goop doesn't seem to be pleased by all the negative press. Phased. Oh, 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 they don't seem to be phased by all the negative press. <laughs> well, the meaning is very, I wouldn't correct you. Yeah, the, Art's got the meaning me is very different. This is a this is a first. Yeah, uh, got him. So write this one down, bunk funkers. Bunk funkers. Uh, we got him. <laughs> uh, in 2018, Goop was valued at over 250 million dollars, and it's continuing to grow. Goop now has a Netflix series called Goop Labs, where Goop employs and even Gwyneth herself go and try many of the alternative medicine practices that their brand promotes. They cover psychedelic mushrooms, the Wim Hof cold exposure therapy. Uh, vaginal health treatments and sexual exploration, anti-aging diets, energy healing, psychic mediums. Whew. Well, Andy, we've covered history. We've covered thick big pharma. We've covered cancer cures. We've covered alternative medicine and goop. Art, we've absolutely crop dusted this topic with our words and research. But you know what, Andy? I don't think the bunk funkers are full yet. I don't think they are, Art. I think they want a little more. What do the skeptics have to say about all this? Mm. Let's start at the top with our after-dinner mint. Mm, he's good on the tongue. Oh, he's great. Brian Dunning of the award-winning show, Skeptoid. Brian has a lot to say about the Big Pharma conspiracy, and he's broken it down into many topics. But he sums it all up with this. Quote, this is directly from his site. The Big Pharma conspiracy also takes attention away from the real problems that exist within the pharmaceutical industry. When we invent an imaginary boogeyman such as a placeholder, as a placeholder because we're not familiar with what the real problems might be, we go forward with bad information and we lobby and we talk to our friends and we spread bad information. And then more people have a wrong understanding of the issues in the pharmaceutical industry. One of those problems with transparency is with the transparency of clinical trials. Another is with the inherent conflict of interest with drug manufacturers having to fund and oversee their tr own trials. But when more voters remain ignorant of these and instead demand action on imaginary cancer cures being suppressed, everyone loses, end quote. And that nicely highlights the basis of what many skeptics say. I don't think many doubt the negative effects, politically speaking, that Big Pharma has on the healthcare industry. There's bountiful evidence on them breaking the law and abusing the market for drug prices. But the idea that they are actively suppressing cures or cures for cancer is where many skeptics draw the line. According to Dunning, there's no evidence of Big Pharma suppressing anything that, quote, cures cancer, because you can, you can simply Google literally anything plus cures cancer and probably find some company selling a natural product that allegedly does exactly that, cures cancer. Brian further states, quote, 
The bottom line here is that Big Pharma may not offer a natural product that cures all cancers, but they also don't do anything to suppress anyone outside their industry from doing it. Saying that Big Pharma suppresses natural cures is exactly like saying Ford suppresses Chevrolet, end quote. Well, what about all the cancer cures we listed, huh? Again, not a single one of them has ever been proven in a scientific trial to cure cancer. And many have been shown to do literally nothing or worse. Or, you know, like being actively harmful. ESIAC, for instance, there's been there's been some present-day uh, modern... All the, all the research of ESIAC from the 70s has just never been released. And they, or they discontinued human trials. Probably because they found that it was doing harm. But some modern trials on animals showed that it can possibly promote cancer growth in certain types of cancer. Although, to be fair, they found that it did maybe possibly inhibit cancer in other trials. But it promotes it in other times. So uh, another fun fact, in 1967, Harry Hoxie, creator of the cancer cure, the Hoxie therapy, developed prostate cancer and his own treatment failed to cure it because he failed to respond to his eponymous therapy uh, Hoaxie underwent surgery and standard medical treatment. He died seven years later in 1974. Yeah! <laughs> All operate under testimonials and anecdotal evidence. All the other ones, right? And none have been subjected to randomized controlled trials. And thus, none of the quote-unquote cures mentioned are recommended by the scientific community for curing cancer. And again, I want to put in our disclaimer, we're not medical professionals. This is not advice on what to do uh, with your healthcare. <laughs> and there are skeptics who defend the pharmaceutical uh, industry as well. You know, they just so happen to be former executives at pharmaceutical industries. Mm -hmm. Make with that what you will. With the case of Savaldi, that drug that almost always cures hep C, one former pharma rep defended they're setting the price of the drug at 84000 Pharma companies say it's a political problem. Yeah. The cost of Savaldi is listed at 84000 but hey, insurance companies can still negotiate the price. The U.S. government can't, but insurance companies can. Mm -hmm. The U.S. keeps these negotiations and costs private, however. The same drug treatment costs, you know, we know, between fifty-five and 65000 in the U.K. and Germany, respectively. So we can assume the U.S. is probably paying around that, that margin for the treatment, which is still a lot, just saying. According to a Forbes article written by John Lamatina, uh, president of Pfizer Global Research and Development in 2007, pharma companies should be congratulated for allowing generics to cost so little in poor, company, poor countries where hep C is so rampant and the market could not afford such hefty fees. Pharma companies always say this, the drug prices are set so they can turn a profit to help research and develop more drugs. What about old goop? What about old goop? I remember that song from the 1970s. What about old goop? <laughs> Went to number one on the pop charts. <laughs> uh, where to start? There are a plethora of publications rallying against goop. Truth in Advertising, a nonprofit organization which seeks to inform and protect consumers against false advertising, has cataloged more than 50 instances in which goop claims, either expressly or implicitly, that its products or third-party products that it promotes can treat, cure, prevent, alleviate the symptoms of, or reduce the risk of developing a number of ailments ranging from depression, anxiety, insomnia, to infertility, uterine prolapse, and arthritis, just to name a few. Goop claims, quote, 
But where we have found our primary place is in addressing people, women in particular, who are tired of feeling less than great, who are looking for solutions. These women are not hypochondriacs, and they should not be dismissed or marginalized, end quote. However, skeptics are quick to point out that their products are clearly marketed toward the extremely wealthy. Just a browse of their catalog will show you 30-day supplies of vitamins and herbal supplements, supplements packs costing $90, tops and blouses that rarely fall under $200, $80 for a crystal-infused water bottle, and $200 for pelvic floor trainers. Folks, you can train your pelvic floor just sitting in a chair. I'm doing it right now. I... Critics point out that Goop is working off the fact that many women have reported that their medical concerns are not being heard fairly and that they feel more comfortable talking with other female doctors. Goop plays into the notion that you can pick your own prescription and that the site feels like it's listening to what you feel rather than what a doctor tells you. There's a myriad of of the scientific community also publishing article after article after article talking about the things that Goop claims and listeners, a lot of this will be linked in the show notes and, and you can, you know, a simple cursory search for Goop will bring up all these articles, but the Goop Labs show on Netflix even has a scene where Paltrow herself incorrectly states what the vagina is, anatomically speaking, even though she's been promoting vaginal health remedies for years. Overall, the most damning criticism against Goop is that it takes a few people's subjective anecdotal experiences in an uncontrolled environment as scientific evidence slash proof. Well, funk funkers, are Big Pharma the ones bringing down the natural cures of companies like Goop? Or are alternative medicines harmful, leading to the spread of pseudoscience? Perhaps it's a vicious circle of the two. The shortcomings of the American healthcare system gives birth to pseudoscience like a sloppy wet jade egg plopping out of a rich lady's pussy. <laughs> Perhaps it's on us to become better consumers and civilians and to change the world for the better so that we all can live happy, healthy lives. Or is that just what the constricting, sickly tendrils of Big Pharma wants us to believe? Welcome back, bunk funkers. How's your bellies feel? They full of enchilada? Yeah, y'all have a nice little bathroom trip? Jeez, that was a big script. Woo, we had to hit the open face turlet after that one. Oh, we had to stretch our jaws, my jaw. Oh, I feel like I had to I just swallow a jade egg in one bite. <laughs> Ouchie. Get a jade egg up your fucking pussy. <laughs> no, Art, I don't have a pussy. Um, wow, Andy, blanket thoughts. <laughs> 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 oh, I mean, real easy to pinpoint where to start the discussion here. Am I right? Yeah, uh, I agree. Got uh, a lot of ground to cover. Uh, why don't we just start from the top? Why don't we start with some of the history stuff? You got any thoughts on a lot of that? Uh, yeah, I got a, I got some thoughts. I want to say that um, the development of medicine obviously it took a long time to get in a really good place, and medicine today is 
is actually pretty successful yeah. at um, treating disease. Obviously, we highlighted in the, the research there are a lot of problems. But one thing I want to say historically is like thank your Greek philosophers for modern medicine. Uh, the pre-Socratics uh, and uh, the the early the sophists, the uh, the earliest philosophers, um, because these are the these are the uh, the philosophers who really started to develop the scientific method, which is the underpinning yeah. of modern medicine. It's where it's finally started to move away from the idea of, oh, this is a supernatural thing to, oh, no, this is something that that just happens in us. You know? I, I mean, I mean, you, you know, you're talking That's about... huge. You're talking about philosophers who are doing a lot of observation of the natural world. Right. And, and trying to, to decide... Uh, what's causing natural phenomena, and and I mean that's that's kind of the the school Hippocrates comes out of. I mean that's his uh, his his ancestry is from these these thinkers that that started questioning the yeah. natural world and trying to understand the workings of it rather than just assuming that, like you said, everything is is supernatural because it's easy to chalk everything up to. To a god, to a demon, to some sort of uh, demons were huge. I mean, demons took a huge hit. Yeah, let's be honest. The yeah. demon community science, not happy with Hippocrates. Uh, science, uh, science has has really taken a toll on demons, and you know it's probably time for us to bring demons back. <laughs> let's bring demons back. If you can summon demons, just go ahead and do it. Do it as do, much do, as possible. Do a little demon summoning. Just go around summoning uh, demons. And and the Renaissance, the Renaissance, the Renaissance. What? How did they? How did the Enlightenment get so far ahead? They went back to the Greek philosophers. They started discovering these old uh, teachings, and then also in the, the Renaissance, uh, they were finally allowed to dissect bodies. It wasn't seen as um, taboo. Back yeah. in the uh, ancient Roman and Greek days, it was still seen as kind of not not cool to uh to cut open other people but in the renaissance they were like oh yeah cut that motherfucker open let me draw his penis in his arms and stuff i think it's i think da vinci it's... you little peen drawer <laughs> i mean that motherfucker was drawing people left and right da vinci drew so many peens da vinci contributed a lot to the depiction of the human form in the human body I right mean, i'm not trying to downplay da vinci no no uh, honestly you're exactly right he's italian i, I want to say one thing though while we're on this topic that when we say the, the Renaissance, uh, Renaissance and its contributions and the Enlightenment, its contributions to the development of medicine, we're largely talking about Western medicine because in yeah. places like China, medical research and treatment continued unabated, untouched by this. I mean, when we talk about it in terms of Western history, yeah. um, Greek society was obviously, uh, 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 as we just said, like responsible for starting to develop these scientific underpinnings that 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 propel our modern world forward. Uh, the Romans uh, were enamored with Greek society and copied a lot of it um, because they were a practical people. You love to bring that up. They were a practical people. You love to shit on Rome. Uh, they copied... Just say it. Just say you hate Rome. They copied Greek art. Yeah, they, they copied it. They copied a lot of stuff from the Greeks. Yeah. They wanted to be the Greeks. The Greeks love were who the up. Romans you wanted to be. love to bring that up. Uh, Latin is like... Uh, Greeks were like accountants. And Greeks were the art department. And when the Romans got to be in charge of everything, they were like, mm, we would buy some art. <laughs> and so they just copied the Greeks. Yeah. Uh, and then... When you get into the fall of the Roman Empire, obviously Europe is plunged into the Dark Ages, which we've talked about on this podcast before. Uh, and so a lot of uh, 
probably a lot of the, I mean, I hesitate to say too many advancements made by Roman doctors, although there were advancements made. It's like, I think that Public I, health. I think that we should caution though about giving the Romans too much credit because Roman societies were actually not that healthy overall. Okay. Like comparatively All right. uh, to like what we would experience today. Uh, yeah. Sure. The aqueducts might bring in like clean water, but yeah. it would be like for a small percentage of the population. All right, listeners, what we're getting at here is Andy has a big problem with Rome. He hates it. This is a known fact about him. He's much more into Byzantium, all the boring shit in history. We know this. He doesn't like the sexy, cool <laughs> stuff. He didn't like Spartacus. He didn't like uh, oh, Kirk. Sh Showtime's uh, R.I.P. Kirk Douglas. R.I.P. Kirk Douglas. Well, let's just say it. Andy didn't like uh, that Rome show that was on, uh, I think, Stars or Showtime, whatever the fuck. Mm. You just admit it. You hate it. Yeah, fuck Rome. So, <laughs> you know, the Enlightenment. When he goes and he plays Civ, he never plays as the Romans. Oh, yeah. It's so fucking boring. Everyone's going to be the Romans. Oh, of course you want to build an empire. You want to be the Romans. Oh, fuck you. Just because you're legionary can He's build gonna roads. He's going to go play as the Gauls or the Visigoths. Oh, they have good attack. They have good defense. They can build roads. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> they can build roads. Fuck you. <laughs> And he's gonna go play Total War. He's gonna be some other. Let's thank the Romans for their real contribution to my life. Hard cheeses. <laughs> I love cheese. <laughs> Give me a little Parmigiano Reggiano, baby. There's like five different versions of Pecorino, baby. Oh my god. Oh, all the cheeses from Sicily. Even that one that's just with maggots yeah, eating out the inside cheese. of it. Yeah, what's that, that called? I don't know. It's gross, can't remember. Um, but. So enlightenment, uh, the Renaissance, it's all about a rediscovery of some of these, these pre dark ages literature and then pushing the boundaries on that. And so that's where you get like Western scientists really like developing and codifying the official scientific, uh, uh, uh method that we use today right. to test things, which is, you know, hypothesis, test, uh, reevaluate, like you have to. You have to think of what you Control think is going to happen. Yeah, and you and, and all those standards get set. So that's what really like propels right medicine forward. Is you know I, I mean along with some of the less taboo uh, of like being actually able to dissect bodies and stuff. Yes, like doing actual investigation on the human body. But it's a lot of it is proper methodology for development, and that's how we end up with like medicine that we have today. Uh, well, I mean, you know, the history, I don't really, you, you have a, uh, I mean, I, I've never seen a, uh, a doctor. Yeah. I didn't know there was actually a difference between a MD and a DO. I didn't know they existed. Oh, um, that, that kind of difference, uh, in our, in our medical system. I didn't know that that was a thing. So I learned something new in this research. Um, and like we said, you know, today, uh, they're kind of probably the same thing. Um, I told you this before we started recording. Yeah. I'll tell it for the listeners now. Oh, yeah, you got to tell it for them. I recently got a new doctor, yeah. and I was on the, the health – I mean, let's keep this in mind, the health corporation's website. Let's let's keep that in mind for discussion coming up. Sure. Um, but I'm on the website looking for – uh, doctors who are seeing new patients and you know they lump all the doctors together but you can see it's like somebody's like you know um jed bartlett md 
And who, you know, Jed Bartlett, great doctor. Great doctor. Martin Sheen, the O. And I would see, you know, people that worked in like an office, the office location. It's kind of kind of how I like started searching. It's like, I want to go to an office that's convenient for right, me. Right, right, You're close by. So I'm I'm looking at these doctors and some people are out of this office that I think is very convenient to me. They're DOs. They're not MDs. I had a bias. You had a bias. I had a bias. Um, you don't want them touching your musculoskeletal system. I, your precious I wanted skeleton. an MD, not a DO. I think that, like you said, today, at least to my knowledge, I mean, obviously I'm not seeing a DO, I'm seeing an MD, but I think that, I think they're pretty much the same. I think the the delineation is, is pretty limited. I mean, DOs go to med school, the same med schools for the most part that MDs would go to. They get, they have to be accredited, certified, licensed. They have like a rigorous process to become a medical health professional. Yeah. I think the main thing is that an MD is, is, I mean, I think this goes back to the split between allopathy and homeopathy that we talked about in research. MDs, you know, may be more likely to prescribe you a prescription, whereas a DO is going to tell you, here's some things you could do in your lifestyle. That said, every experience that I've had with a doctor as an adult, most doctors are telling you about changes you need to make in your lifestyle. Yeah. And, you know, this big health corporation where my doctor works, they have um, like lifestyle medicine doctors. Yeah. And uh, they will make you go to the lifestyle medicine doctor before they try other more dr drastic things. Um. Medical, you know, science. Obviously, it's always progressing. It's always going forward. It, a lot of a lot of fields are moving towards that. Like lifestyle, mindfulness is huge in yeah. in the law community. Um, the idea that we need to take care of ourselves in this kind of holistic sense and lifestyle, and it's not just you know, take a pill, you get get better. Um, our nurse colleague mentioned that. From what they know, um, part of why the opioid crisis was so hectic was there was a, a belief that you couldn't get, in the beginning, you couldn't get addicted to these drugs. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know who's spreading that belief. <laughs> yeah. But, and there was also a lack of bedside manner that doctors, I think, are getting better at, hopefully, in which they describe, this, this nurse colleague describes that doctors weren't doing a good enough job of Letting the patient know that if you're going in for surgery, when you wake up, you're going to be in pain. Mm -hmm, when mm -hmm. somebody cuts open your fucking chest and rips your, I don't know what they do, rip open your rib cage or whatever the fuck they have to do. I actually can talk, I can speak to this, Art. You've had your rib cage opened? No, but I had my testicles bisected. Oh, that's right. You had your testicles bisected. And oh, I got to uh, tell you, that did not feel good when I woke up from that one. Yeah. Well, I felt fine at first because I was... I was sort of out of it from the anesthesia. Right. But I'll tell you, it didn't feel good to lay down in bed for two weeks. No. While my ball sack healed. Yeah. Um, and You had to use one of those uh, little uh, tables that come in pizza boxes, and you just popped yeah, just up your ball sack. To hold them off the ground, yeah, <laughs> off the chair. Um, <laughs> those little toppers. I was, I was prescribed post that surgery. I was prescribed two separate narcotics. Wow. Did you take any? I Took mm, maybe three pills total. Andy loves drugs. I do. These, 
These drugs did nothing. Really? When I had my wisdom teeth out when I was a teenager, I was prescribed Vicodin wow. for that. I got one bottle of Vicodin and I was allowed one refill. And this was 1968. This was, yeah. This was, Vicodin was brand new. Um, <laughs> my parents had to go into debt to afford it. Um, That's interesting. You no, got a bottle of Vicodin. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't remember how many, because it was like, you know, you take, you could take like, I don't know, three pills a day at most. Yeah. Um over the the course of the prescription. So I maybe had like 30 pills or maybe not even that many. That's a lot of pills. Uh, 30 seems like a lot, but I don't, I don't recall, but um, I, the Vicodin was awesome. I mean, yeah, you were, it was great. Yeah. Like, you know, you just, I mean, I would just zone out and go to sleep. Really? It was great. I uh, almost always refuse those drugs. Well, I'll take, I just don't take them. I, I got lucky enough that when I got my wisdom teeth removed, I think I had this like God tier fucking surgeon and I had no pain. I mean, obviously I had to do like the stub mouth. Like you got to wash your mouth out with shit every fucking day or something. Salt water. Salt water. And, uh, which feels great by the way. Yeah. Nothing like putting salt. Nothing in like, wound. Hey, uh, you've got an open wound in your mouth. You know, the best thing to keep it clean is to swish with a uh, peroxide or salt water. It's but, like, Oh, Awesome. I mean, that's that's a derivative of like an ancient cure where people would go yeah. swim in salt water. And when I was growing up, uh, my Italian grandparents were very skeptical of doctors. They mm -hmm. would never go, mm -hmm. and they were skeptical. And they and they had beliefs like they would tell me things like, "Oh, you got a cut in the mouth? Go swish it out with some water from the ocean. You'll be fine." Mm -hmm. Things like that. You, know, you know, it's uh, one of those things yeah. though. Uh, like the reason dental professionals suggest that you do stuff like that because you and i both have had recent dental work oh yeah and um uh i was in a fuck ton of pain we both had scaling procedures done over the last year yeah and tons of pain and it does hurt and one of the things i mean they don't prescribe you anything you don't get anything for that it's like take a tylenol if you yeah. feel bad um but ibuprofen mm, yeah tylenol isn't recommended I, I can't take it though i mean they don't they don't want you to take tylenol because of the liver stuff yeah i don't can't take ibuprofen because of my blood pressure Ooh. Ibuprofen is actually the stuff that works. Yeah, I I like ibuprofen, but it constricts the blood vessels. Oh, so, Andy, if you have high do blood you pressure, need a liver. Uh, not really. I don't drink anymore because of my high blood pressure. <laughs> but I eat a lot of fat. <laughs> what do I do? But all right, we I'm both not, had these scaling procedures. We both did it. In the follow up, uh, genetically, I have terrible teeth. The dentist tells me if you if you have bleeding, you have discomfort. Consider swishing with salt water. Like mix this amount of salt into warm water, swish it in your mouth for 30 seconds, spit it out. Salt is used in a lot of different scenarios. But so my sinuses issue. I have sinus yeah. issues. I got a fuck ton of issues, listeners. Andy and I both have issues. Look, we're not long for this earth. You should know this by now. <laughs> if you've been listening, you know we're going to die soon. But I fucking squirt this like salt water shit up my nose, clears out my fucking sinuses. Uh, yeah, because I mean, now, now doctors give you this stuff. Dental professionals tell you this stuff because... They understand the antiseptic properties. You know, it's it's an old cure and ancient people were doing it. Um, I mean, this has nothing to do. This is not germane to the topic, I guess. But, yeah. you know, we talk about this a lot. Ancient people didn't know what they were doing. It's like it just because it worked. Right. They kept doing it. Right. But they didn't know why. Yeah. Now we understand that salt has these antiseptic properties. Right. Like it hurts because it's killing stuff. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, um, I... You know, I I actually use Listerine every day, so that's what I was using after my procedure. And I can't and use Listerine. It hurt like hell. I bet it did. Oh man! <laughs> every morning it was like, 
buckle your seatbelt because I'm white knuckling <laughs> through this. <laughs> I, um, not to toot my own horn, but I have a relatively, I have a decent tolerance for pain. Not heat though. Not heat pain, but like physical pain, I usually can, I'll usually deal with it. Mm-hmm. I, I will go long ways without popping an ibuprofen or Tylenol. I'll just, I'll deal with it. I don't give a shit. I tend, I tend to look for how can I, how can I adjust my lifestyle in my own life? You know, both of us, we sit all day. It's killing us slowly sitting. Um, you sit in a position where your hand is on a mouse and your other hand obviously is on your penis. Uh, you sit with a position where your hand or is on, on a mouse. Or on the phone and oscillating between the two That's right. as quickly as possible. You know, I've developed some shoulder pain in my like front delt frequently just because I'm always sitting with my fucking arm like clawed up over this mouse all day long. Mm-hmm. You know, can I sit there and start popping ibuprofen every time I'm in pain? Yeah, and that would probably work. Or I'll just fucking learn to adjust my lifestyle, take breaks, stretch my shoulder better and more and and not sit so much in that position, you know? This is a good microcosm for the whole argument. Yeah. And like a lot of the problem with medicine from doctors to patients to the wider medical community. Uh, you mentioned, you wrote this in the script, Art. I wrote it. That um, like your mental health. I like didn't dep- pronounce it. Depression is, uh, it's a mixture of things. It's hodgepodge. a mixture of factors, a hodgepodge. Your health is a hodgepodge. Yeah. Every aspect of your health is a hodgepodge. Yeah. It's not as simple as saying this pill is going to fix you. This one dietary change is going to fix you. And, and none of it may fix you. I mean, because it's all goes back to genetics and oh, yeah. every choice you've ever made contributes to where your health is at that moment. That's some snapshot when you see your doctor. So there's no quick fixes for anything. Yeah. And, you the know, words right out of my mouth. I think older doctors tend to be of the mindset that uh, you prescribe drugs to treat the symptoms because I think they don't give patients credit because they say, oh, patients aren't going to, I could tell them to change their lifestyle. They're not going to do it. Right. So I got to keep prescribing them medications. You know, I think more modern medicine is moving to that idea of like, that it is a mixture of things like that you need to do stuff and you need to change your lifestyle. You need to live a better lifestyle, but you know, in the interim, maybe you need a prescription to help get you there. Or right. maybe you have a serious problem that needs medication or surgery. Or maybe you should be chemically castrated because you run a podcast. That's a good possibility. <laughs> Luckily for me, I don't need to be castrated. I'm already sterile by nature. Andy, you took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> this is Artie's, one of Artie's big rules of life. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, listeners, if you don't know the art rules for life... <laughs> You can get them. It's coming to the Amazon New York Times bestseller list. There's no quick fix with anything. Mm-mm, mm-mm, Nothing. Mm-mm. Stop looking for them. They don't exist. Mm-hmm. Nothing will ever be. If it says it's a quick fix, it doesn't exist. Yeah. If you try and quick fix a bathroom remodeling, you're going to have a shitty bathroom. Pun intended. You try and do quick fixing when you're getting a car, buying a house, doing whatever. Your life, same deal. Mm-hmm. It's better to address the problems that these drugs say they'll fix, you know? Yeah. It takes hard work. It takes being an informed consumer, which is difficult. I'm not saying it's easy, you know, but you just got to inform yourself. You got to research, you know, consult people, 
There is a uh, there's a YouTube link that's going to be in the show notes, but it's this doctor and he's talking about goop. And I don't want to jump ahead to goop just yet, but he mentions that he actually takes this stance on goop. He says, yeah, goop is stupid. It's pseudoscience. Mm -hmm. It's not going to like, but he says like, you know, the harmless stuff, you know, it's not killing you. Shouldn't replace science. But if you think your your crystal infused water bottle is makes you feel good, then feeling good is going to help you feel good. Because the brain is crazy like that. Brain will convince you. But he says, uh, diet, exercise, um, positive uh, relationships in your life, and sleep are the four biggest things that will influence you in your life and your health overall than anything else. Any drug, any magic crystal, any jade egg up your cooter, up your snatch, your schnoz. Hey, turns out, Wikipedia has pictures of vaginas. I had to do some research on the vagina for this because there's that portion in the script where Gwyneth Paltrow, incorrectly, atomically speaking, says what a vagina is. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm going to go on Wikipedia to see, like, what is the actual anatomical oh, thing of a oh, vagina? in the interest of research, let me just <laughs> Google vagina. No, I, I thought there's no Ooh, way There's no way Wikipedia is going to have a picture of a, of a vagina. They got a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah, like spread open. Oh, yeah. All the parts. Yeah. I know a lot about vaginas now. <laughs> you want to share? The vagina is the muscular birth canal part. Mm-hmm. That's right. But colloquially, we tend to refer to things like the vulva and other parts mm-hmm. uh, as just the vagina. The exterior is not the vagina. Right. The vagina is the interior. And that's where Gwyneth Paltrow, mm-hmm. I'm sure listeners are loving this. Two dudes telling other people what their vagina is. Look, women, <laughs> uh, we know. Look, we've seen plenty of vaginas in our days. Maybe even as many as you can count on a hand. Or maybe two fingers. (laughs) (laughs) But those four things, Andy, those four things this doctor says are going to influence your life more than, and those four things are hard. It's hard to have positive relationships in your life, especially when you know you have a podcast co-host. It's contentious. It's not positive. (laughs) Off mic. It's vicious. There's going to be a 30 for 30 about the two of us, and you're not going to like it, bunk funkers. Sleep. Oh, my God, sleep. Where do we even begin with sleep? I wish I knew. I wish I knew about sleep. The thing I love the most, but I also hate to do. And you, you know, you have no excuse. For what? For not sleeping? No, I mean, like, there's there's nothing you can do. No, no, <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to die. You have a child. It's, it's just like... like I slept. You just, you just don't get sleep anymore. I slept till seven a.m. yesterday, and I felt like a different person. Like I wasn't me anymore. I was some. I was some. Uh, I was some god of old, descended from the heavens to be amongst the mortals on earth. I mean, it's incredible. Uh, uh, sleep is. I mean, sleep is maybe the most important thing in the world. Sleep is insane, and I never get enough sleep because I wake up. I'm a slow starter in the morning. I need some lead time so that I can I can get my day going and get it to work. I wake up at 4.30 in the morning. Yeah. Like, if I wanted to get eight hours of sleep, I got to go to sleep at, like, what? Uh, 7 p.m.? Yeah, like 8. I got to be in bed. You're not doing that because you're a fucking cool dude who likes the nightlife. I go to the club every night. <laughs> you're popping bottles. You're in the VIP section. You're pouring champagne down Shorty's cracks. Yes, I have a second job and I work at a nightclub. <laughs> Andy's a dancer. I've seen it. 
I stand in a cage because they don't want me to get near people. He's got these big furry boots. He's a go-go dancer, all right? It's cool. You it's really it out. outdated. Nobody <laughs> likes it, but yeah. I'm a fixture. <laughs> Literally, the cage is stuck to the building. And it's a like, load-bearing cage. Much like some of the medical profession, you refuse to change. Yes. Um, Art, I think that you and I have common cause with the homeopaths here. Yeah. In that um, homeopaths were saying allopaths were treating symptoms and not the underlying cause. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now, we're not in favor of bloodletting. We're not. And, and, and this doesn't reflect the way that medicine is today. Right. We're talking about way back. Um, but here's the thing with homeopaths. Homeopaths were also selling a quick cure. Yeah, they were. They were just doing a different cure. <laughs> They're not your homies. No. I mean, that's the problem is that, you know, everybody wanted to say like, oh, you can do this one thing and it'll fix your problem. And like with Essiac, with 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 any of these like Hope herbal C, treatments. Yeah. GERD. The thing is, they might work. They might, but uh, there's 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 faulty cause and effect, and we're subject to it all the time because we don't really understand what's happening, and because these people aren't scientists, they're not examining what it's actually doing in your body. It's like maybe it helps, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's because it's a it's preferable to prescriptions or it's preferable to any other kind of treatment, radiation, for example. It all depends on the person. It depends on the type of cancer. Cancer, there's so many different types of cancer, and they're not all the same. I mean, just because one thing treats this one type of cancer doesn't mean that it's going to treat every type of cancer. Right. We've seen that. I mean, the Savaldi or Gleevec. Yeah, Gleevec. The uh, leukemia drug, mm -hmm. you know, seems to work pretty damn well. Mm -hmm. That's why it's so fucking expensive, which is another part of the, which We'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to it. <laughs> we'll get on to the clock up right here. Uh, but- you know, I think I agree with you. You know, they kind of, they. it's like, I think some people want to see what they want to see. Yes. And uh, I I kind of see through their, their stuff. They're trying to sell me something too. Mm -hmm. Even if they don't, you know, I don't know how much it costs to go to the Gerson Therapy Institute. Yeah. I didn't look that up. I don't know how much it costs to go down to Tijuana and go get Essiac or yeah. Uh, well, no, you can get your own Essiac in the U.S. You probably just make it at home. You can right? make it. They they list the ingredients. Um, or who's in there? Hoaxy. Hoaxy's down there. Right. Right. Hoaxy. I don't know how there. much it costs. I don't know if these people are actually giving it away for free or not. Yeah. Regardless, I think there's. I just don't believe that there's a quick fix in life to things like that. No. Um. Now you kind of look and say like, well. Why do they have vaccines for all these other treatments? Why is there a polio vaccine? Why is there smallpox? Why is there all, you know, why have we been able to eliminate measles up until recently? <laughs> you know? Um, and why not cancer? Do I have an answer for that? Not really. Maybe that's more of an anti-vax episode. Look, I'm not a doctor, but they're different types of things. Right. Um, like diseases are, if a disease that's viral, look, the whole coronavirus thing like viral diseases all you can do is really like there's nothing to treat your is body just has to work through it so your body's either equipped to defeat that virus or you die that's why there's no cure for the common cold and what vaccines are is they introduce that virus to your body this is almost this is almost the homeopathic the the like cures like kind of thought 
It is. Uh, and it vaccines actually works. Are, vaccines vaccines that, are like that. Yeah, that's like, what they do. They put a diluted amount of the virus into your body so that your body can become used to it and can develop uh, antigens uh, to fight it or uh, whatever, antibodies, whatever the word is. Again, I'm not a doctor. Something like cancer is a cellular mutation. Right. Your body doesn't always know that there's something wrong. It's just different kinds of cells. Yeah. So it doesn't, the, the chemistry of it, the biology of it, it doesn't- It's not it, a foreign object. Right. It's not recognizing this as something that it needs to fight. It's it's seeing it as just different kinds of cells. It's not until it starts doing like harm to you in a way that your body can respond to that it starts like making a, a, a reaction to it. Right. So I think the thing is that like cancer, you can't, you can't just inject people with a little bit of cancer- and then your body learns how to fight it. That's yeah. not how it works. Right. Um, so it's like the the problem with cancer, they probably have to develop is like a genetic cure. Right. Because it's it's something that, that changes in your cells. So, I mean, stem cells, that will probably cure cancer someday. You can if go get a stem cell we shot. Could, we could ever, you know, get stem cells sorted out. You can probably, I mean, that's kind of what they do. I think they're expensive, but you can go get them. Yeah. But I mean, you know, it's not a widespread available. Right. As widespread as it could be, probably. It's like goop. Yeah. So Joe Rogan like, can go get stem cell injections. Joe, yeah, Joe Rogan can do it, but not common folk like us. Right. Um, so I think the thing is, like, um, you know, they need there's they need to be some different kind of cure. I mean, some things are just like aging related. Uh, That's and, a great point. And aging is a, a, a function of genetics. We're not designed to live as long as we're living. I don't think. I don't know. I we're I, li- we're doing it. I think that I think it's it's an issue in the DNA. Like they're almost uh, they've, there's been research. I mean, I've read about this before that research into the genetic markers that the, the determine how fast people age. They've done research into this and they're trying to like pinpoint it. Yeah. What's that thing that starts with a T? Uh, you know what I'm talking about? It's unlike our DNA. Some shit like that. Oh, fuck. Whatever. Sorry. Continue about uh it's like the thing that they think is like the signifier of age it like over time it wears down and that oh i don't know i can't remember the yeah yeah, but you know what i'm talking about yeah i know what you're talking about okay yeah i think we're talking about the same thing yeah it's like they've identified this thing but they don't really it's not to the point where they can understand it or they could change it right in a way that could like stop the aging process but the way that science is advancing i mean it's not unreasonable to think that we'll get to a point where we could like maybe even cure aging, which then uh, you got a whole bunch of other problems when you cure aging. Right. Right. Like population control. Yeah. I mean, what happens when we start? I mean, you got to think like you mentioned genetics. Like I can't even imagine what the clinical trials look like for that. Like you're going to mess with like, how are you going to test that on humans? Like messing with somebody's genes yeah. to see in a controlled environment, this shit works or not. You yeah. know, that's why certain things like, I mean, I, I'm sure there's big influence from, and maybe we can transition into talk on big pharma, but yeah, you know, there's, 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 why did it take so long for marijuana to get involved when there is so much evidence that, you know, in, as a medicinal property, not talking about recreational, you motherfuckers out there smoking big doinks out in the Amish. Like you want to <laughs> go out there in the Amish, smoke a big doink. If you're in a state where it's legal, go ahead and do it. Want to smoke a fat doink on the Amish? Smoke a fat doink on the Amish. <laughs> I don't give a fuck. I don't want to smoke fat doinks out in the Amish. I don't want to smell your smoking fat doinks out in the Amish. <laughs> anyway, 
For medicinal purposes, I'm going on a rant. Dare Officer Arts back in action. Take a bite of crime. You're going to bite crime's ass. <laughs> I'm going to bite crime's ass like that Tennessee coach. Ooh, I'm going to get after crime and let's get out there, boys, and bite crime in the ass. <laughs> That's our sketch idea. You can't have it, bunk bunkers. Okay. If we see that sketch anywhere, we'll freaking sue. We'll freaking sue so hard. Watch out, SNL. Um, Lauren, I know you listen. Conan. Conan. Yeah. He listens to this show? Yeah, it'll be on his show, too. Okay. Um, For medicinal purposes, why did it take so long when it's like Mm -hmm. marijuana does so much of what opioids do? And and, uh, people never talk about how marijuana is so great for appetite balance. When you're sick on chemo and you don't want to eat, marijuana gives you the munchies. Allegedly. I don't know. I guess it does. (laughs) I've heard. Um, or with seizure control, so many things, you know, all this, these oils and shit. Well, the real issue, uh, is probably more a legal one than anything. And then it's that, that marijuana is still a class one drug. And so it's prohibited at the highest levels by the U S federal government. Um, you know, even in Illinois where we reside, uh, cannabis recently became legalized by the state government. Um, unfortunately the state, law is in uh contravention of the uh federal drug laws so at any time the department of justice could choose to enforce that law you say this all the time but is there any evidence that they've ever done it no that's the thing they don't it's it's there they don't but i get that it doesn't make any sense and it's like well they could they could but you bring that up a lot they could that's <laughs> but that's the thing is like how do we know that they won't right there's lots of money now in, uh, well, and in marijuana. And marijuana people have to keep it. Marijuana people. Marijuana businesses, they can't use banks, right? Right, right. So they got to keep all that cash in a big old safe. Right, because it's federally illegal. So, you Wild know, West. Uh, yeah, so they uh, they have to keep in cash. So Could they use like a local, uh, what are they called? Local bank? Credit union. Can you use a local credit union? Yeah, potentially. Like one that's just in their state? Yeah, potentially. Then they could store the money there. Potentially. Okay, potentially. I mean, I don't want to speak for any banks. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, but potentially. Okay. But I'm saying, like, you know, a lot of times it's cash only. Like all the all the Big all cash. the marijuana stores here are cash only. Big money. Uh, so there's cash just sitting around. I mean, if the federal government was like, hey, lots of cash, we could just seize these assets. I don't they know. They could do it. it. I know. you like and to it's bring totally it up. Legal. It's totally legal. Yeah, you like it's to legal. bring it up. You like to bring it up. It's legal. But again. I've seen them shut down people like I think a business got like was it here or was it somewhere else? I was reading a story. A marijuana business got shut down, but like the guy had like three felonies for <laughs> you saw that one? Uh, it, well, no, I didn't see that. But I mean, I'm just saying like businesses that operate illegally under right. state laws are subject. The federal government might get involved, yeah. but it's because they were they were operating illegally for that state. Listen, law. I've. I'm not defending. I've seen the federal government step in, use the ATF to take down people for various purposes, including marijuana. Yeah. Famously, a YouTuber named FPS Russia, who was very famous in the aughts, in the heyday, in the beginning of YouTube. FPS Russia lived in Georgia, I believe. Uh, Probably owned, I think, over $400,000 worth of guns. Mm Mm-hmm. Like 
you know, I don't know what George's firearm laws are, but I think they're pretty lax. <laughs> Being that safe he, bet, <laughs> he would drive around with automatic weaponry. He fired a tank. He drove a tank through a uh, a drive-through in one of his videos, and you know he would do that. But uh, the federal government started becoming involved with him. There's some other stuff that happened. Which drive-through did he go through? I don't know. What uh, maybe like a Whataburger? Ah, Since it's Georgia. Is, yeah. I don't know what else is down there. McDonald's maybe. Bojangles. Bojangles. Um, but. They essentially got him yeah. by, he had like a minute amounts of THC oil. They found yeah. it in his house. Yeah. And so then the ATF was able to federally legally raid him, mm-hmm. take away all his guns. And he got sent to prison for two months, a federal prison. Yeah. Two months. Yeah. For a tiny bit of we- like oil. Yeah. And then they got to take, but what I think theorists believe and what, you know, I kind of think to. Is that they went in to get his guns. Sure. And a few other things. Sure. But now there's some stuff too with him. I just want to clarify in case anyone's listening. There's some weird, some stuff went on and I'm not trying to, allegedly, I'm going to say this allegedly, I'm not trying to libel Kyle, FPS Russia. But from what I, there's some stuff happened with his business partner was found murdered Mm. in a very weird way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean- he had he he allowed his property to be raided, you know, to let he let the authorities say like, hey, I am not involved in this. So, but the stuff with the THCO, that's what happened. He got sent to a prison for two months. All his guns got taken away and destroyed. Right, four hundred thousand dollars. That's what I'm saying. It's I mean, federal agents. What I'm trying to say is you. Ha- I'm giving you credit. Andy. Thank you. Thank you. Even it's though nice. you bring up that thing, anytime the discussion on marijuana comes up among our friends group, Andy jumps in like a hawk. You know, it's a legal for It's a maker. murky legal situation. <laughs> you love it, though. I mean, if if the federal government would reclassify marijuana, yeah. the whole thing changes. I mean, you know how fucking silly it is if, like, I don't know how many states in the union have legalized it. There's a lot, but... What if like all of them are legalized and then it's still federally illegal? Like it could happen. What a fucking weird country, man. Yeah, it could happen. <laughs> That's so funny. I mean, at that up. point, it's like there's kind of no purpose. <laughs> yeah. Because like right now, where you're I mean, like like Illinois, it's legal. And Indiana, it's not. Right. Interstate commerce, you can't you can't sell if you get caught with it. Right. You can you can you can you can come here, you can buy it, you can smoke it in Illinois. You take it back to Indiana, you smoke it, it's a crime. Right. And they can arrest you. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, if you if if you and I had a marijuana business. And we do. And we do. It's called 420 Art. <laughs> and uh, Andy's name, not allowed not on allowed. the title. Uh, it's a legal thing. Uh, <laughs> don't ask too many questions, listeners, because I, I, I got a gag order. <laughs> he has to wear a gag. <laughs> He's got a ball gag in his I, mouth. I had a real dominating judge in the <laughs> case. Um, um, I don't know. I was injured at the time. I was a bit gimpy. Uh, the, uh, if we had a, if we had a marijuana business and we were, uh, like, you know, on the border between Illinois, Wisconsin, Illinois, Indiana, and we like have delivery people or whatever, and they deliver the marijuana across the state lines, like our business get in trouble. Yeah. The federal agents would probably shut us down if it, if local, you know, that's true. Like, like, like Wisconsin couldn't do anything about it. Yeah, you're right. But they could call up the FBI and say, "Hey, this is happening. Yeah, shut this business down because right. they're 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 skirting our laws." Maybe a better example is uh, psychocybling. Oh, sure. Give a better example than mine. No, magic mushrooms. 
is different from marijuana because magic mushrooms are still <laughs> illegal everywhere. Uh, I feel like somewhere legalized them. I'll say what you're saying. I'll look that up. But, you know, there still needs to be a lot more clinical tests. Like, and that's something oh, that- I think you're right. Is it somewhere like Oregon or yeah, it's probably Washington? Oregon. Right. Um, what, uh, you know, goop, goop is like, oh, well, you know, we all tripped on magic mushrooms and we had this great time and it's so great. It's like, that's awesome. Goop that you all enjoyed tripping on magic mushrooms so much as so many college students do. Uh, it still needs to be clinically tested in, and what, like what dosage, you know, to, to cure depression and all these other things. Like to help with PTSD, we need to know the dosages and the it needs to be clinically tested in a controlled environment. And that takes time and money and effort. And it sucks that it takes so long. So mushrooms, illegal in, in the United States, but decriminalized in Denver, Colorado, Oakland, California, and Santa Cruz, California. So huh. like very localized. Very localized, yeah. So if you're in within those city limits, I guess it's within your rights to go have some fun with mushrooms. But again, I have to say, not federally legal. That's right. Well, perhaps, Andy, it's a, it's a good time maybe to, to transition into the big pharma stuff. Okay. Is there anywhere you want to kind of start with the big pharma stuff? Um, I kind of have, I kind of have like some big thoughts on thick pharma. Well, that's fitting. Um, I guess, I guess I want to say like, it's not a good system. No. Like, let's talk about it. First of all, I mean, and if you're from a foreign country, quit shitting on us. We're doing the best we can. Okay. You don't live here. You don't have to deal with it. You know what? I see it all the fucking time, Andy, because I'm part of some international communities on online forums. And inevitably, the American healthcare system will come up and some snooty, smug guy coming, oh, can hear you over the sound of my free prescriptions. We get it. <laughs> you don't see us going to other countries and being like, oh, you're having a civil war? International listeners. People don't get killed with machetes over here, even though they do. International <laughs> listeners, your country is not a good proxy for the United States of America. We are a unique country with unique variables that contribute to our healthcare system. Fuck we you are not, guys. if you Nordic countries want to come up here and talk about how great things are when you live there, your Nordic country's not a good proxy for us. And we're specifically talking about Luxembourg. That's not Nordic, but okay. No, Luxembourg. but Luxembourg, you know Luxembourg's what? not a good proxy for the United States. You're sandwiched in between Germany and France. Everything's so great for you, Luxembourg. You know what? Quit shitting on us. How many people live in Luxembourg? Like 500,000? I'm sick of it. There are 300 million people in the United States. Luxembourg has been bullying us for too long. Luxembourg's not a good proxy for the United States. <laughs> there are very few other countries that are good proxies for the United States. You think about... How different, it's just crazy how different we are from one end to our coast to the other and from the north to the south. We have a huge, huge, diverse population. And one thing that diversity means is that there are lots of different medical needs. Yeah. Because different populations of people will experience 
disease at different rates. Yeah. Uh, they're because genetically your climate too. genetically diverse people are have some different markers and indicators and things and it affects how their bodies respond to treatments, how their bodies respond to disease. Uh, so with a with a population that's not homogenous, healthcare is complicated. It's very complicated. When you talk about it on a big scale. Are we defending? We're not defending. We're not defending the system. It's just, I'm just saying. System. Everybody, I feel like everybody in some way, it's like, do, does anyone like insurance? Nobody likes it. Everybody, everybody hates like it. That? Everybody hates it. Nobody gets it. It's, I don't understand how it works. Everybody hates it. Nobody likes insurance. I don't get how it works, Andy. Nobody likes Truly, it. Truly, I don't. I get how it works, There's but like I, a nobody deductible. likes it. You have to spend a certain amount, and then you still have to keep spending like twenty percent. The the like the, I don't get it. The 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 like foundation of the insurance industry is is actuaries, and these yeah. are people that do the mathematical calculations. These are people that you would probably say are like me, but you would hate them even more than you hate me, because <laughs> these are the people who like calculate out mathematically how long you're likely to live, and that's how they that's how like like your life insurance works, you yeah. know. Uh, if you have life insurance, like they take into consideration all these variables that they test for. So they'll take like a screening. If you've ever gotten life insurance, they, they take your blood pressure, your pulse, ox. Um, I think they do a little blood sample to like get your cholesterol levels and stuff. They do all this stuff and then they plug these. If you do an extreme sport or not. Yeah. Like I always say, yes, I do death skateboarding. <laughs> Even though I don't, but I want to look cool to the guy that comes to my you house. You want to look cool. I mean, number one thing for me is looking cool. Number two is yes. having money when I die. That's right. I want to take it with me. I specifically put it in my will <laughs> that the money, they get the payout from the insurance company. It goes in my casket. Not going to your family. No, no. It lines the casket so that I can rest easy uh, when I get to the other side. As you know, Andy, I'm running for president, and I would like to introduce my first bill. <laughs> uh, for 2020, he's running for president. <laughs> That's right. Just started his campaign. No donors yet. Right now. Here's my bill. Here's how we're going to fix it. Okay. It's called the Artie $5 Pharma Footlong Bill. Everything's $5. It worked for Subway. It'll work for America. <laughs> What's more American than Subway, baby? Nothing. <laughs> Everything's $5. You go to the doctor, $5. You go get a prescription, $5. It's good that you brought up- Get a surgery, $5. $5. $5. Five dollar pharma foot long. It's got a catchy jingle. <laughs> so the hope is that you'll overpay on a lot of things for the stuff you have to kind of underpay no, for. Everything's five dollars. No, but everything. Like, you, it makes five dollars. Five dollars. It's funny that you, you could spend five dollars. It's fun that you should bring up Subway for this episode. Oh, really? Talk about a thing that advertises itself as healthy <laughs> but is actually dog shit. Yeah. Bread isn't healthy for you. <laughs> uh, especially not bread that's frozen yeah. with preservatives. Uh, like wheat, like enhanced wheat flour. Yeah. Enriched. Well, enriching. Enriching. Uh, no. Stop right there. Do not criticize enriching. Jeez. What? Fuck you for saying oh, that. Jesus. Andy loves Wonder Bread. You're making, you're, you're making, uh, you're making a bad call here. Okay. Do you know why they enrich things? Because people don't eat enough of these vitamins right. on their own. Yeah. And, That's why they did it. And so they've done it to, because people make dumb, bad choices. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that's everybody's fault. Sometimes they don't have the- Chicken or the egg. The ability to make a good choice for- you live in a food desert. Various reasons. Yeah. Food desert. 
Maybe lack of uh, you live in a real economic de- You live in a real desert. <laughs> you, yeah. Uh, you have a Unabomber-style shack in the mountains. And <laughs> you've never seen humanity. Yeah. Um, they enrich products to help add those vitamins. So enriching, actually not bad. Actually very good for public health. Okay. The reason that breakfast cereals are always enriched with vitamins yeah. is because there were severe uh, infant mortality rates and birth defects in the South. And the only thing they could find in common is that people would eat a bowl of breakfast cereal in the morning. So they couldn't sift through all the the various, there was no correlation between all of the, the problems because everybody's unique. But they found one thing in common that people did in a way that they could introduce these lack of vitamins that are so important and essential for healthy babies. Yeah. Uh, now this is where Andy and I sometimes differ is that, uh, you know, you're, you're more of a fan of, you don't have a problem with GMOs and things like this, but I'm going to say like, what kind of stuff is enriched flour usually coupled with? Is there a lot of sugary products with these enriched flours? You know, probably it's ingredient. It's probably products that already don't have a lot of nutritional value. Enriching though on its face is not bad. Okay. You're drawing a faulty conclusion. That's fair. Your issues with the items, not with the enriching. I got. I hate items. Yeah, you hate items. He's terrible at Diablo. <laughs> um, Never loots anything. Just kills. <laughs> I just As- like to farm. <laughs> just get me to the end game, so I can go run maps. Um, you know, Andy with Big Pharma. Obviously, there's a big. I don't think like is anyone doubting. Like we know that the pharmaceutical industry is lobbying Washington. I mean, this is like a every single one of those acts every, that we put out. Every goddamn yeah. industry for everything is lobbying Washington. All over I there. mean, Dennis Kucinich is probably right, but he's also wrong in not saying that that's every big industry. Well, um, I mean, he's in a documentary about big pharma. Yeah, he's not clarify his right. Statement. But I'm just saying. I mean, uh, like. It's misleading to suggest that it's only, I mean, and I'm not saying Dennis Kucinich is doing this, um, but it's misleading if somebody suggests that like big pharma is, is specifically like a problem lobbying. Everything's a problem lobbying because there's lobbyists for everything. That said, sometimes lobbyists do good things. Again, because not, I think we give our politicians too much credit about being informed Sometimes lobbyists genuinely bring up important topics to politicians. And they don't listen. <laughs> right. I mean, they yeah. may or may not listen. Right. I mean, but that's that's a whole other thing. I mean, this kind of gets into more my... You guys know me. I don't trust a fucking narc. Yeah. I mean, this is the whole thing. Like, like okay, the system is bad, but it's bad because we have corrupt politicians, like bad politicians. Uh, you know, there's... To me, the the the... Overarching tendrils of Big Pharma, though, it is kind of a, um, it seems like one of the root causes that doesn't, I wonder how little, it doesn't get as dressed as much, I think, as it should. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, we have big debates in this country a lot about universal health care. Right. And most modern countries have some form of universal health care, single payer, right? completely socialized medicine, what have you. Right. Um. You know, and, and this involves their prescription. I mean, you can see it. It's like we're the only country that allows drug advertisements. Right. Well, in New Zealand. And New Zealand. It's like us in New Zealand. But New Zealand still has some form of, uh, I think, you know, universal health care. And mm-hmm. 
sometimes I wonder how, like, if if universal healthcare was ever passed, would we still not address the issues of the pharmaceutical industry? You know, right? Um, like, how much does that play into it? You know, mm-hmm. I don't have the answers on that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think that uh, it's just a thought experiment. You know, I think that the the FDA takes a lot of flack, but I think it's actually like a well-meaning organization. Um, but it is understaffed and there's so much oversight that's needed and it's never been properly funded. And that's a failure on the part of the government to not properly. I mean, things that affect the public health should be like a priority, right? Um, you know, we have a lot of we have a lot of regulations. Uh, I mean, I think ultimately like food and drug in this country are very safe yeah. for the most part. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, probably as safe, if not safer than in most of the rest of the world. Um that said, people have a lot of issues with the FDA. I mean, it's things like I read uh, a story recently, not even for this research, but I read a story recently about some drug that um, that helps with schizophrenia. And um, it's something that uh, is not available in this country because it can't get FDA approved. Is it uh, aniracetam or any of the racetams, paracetam? I don't remember. Any nootropics? I don't know. Okay. But it's something that's in use in Europe. Yeah. And uh, like psychologists there like swear by it yeah. because of its how successful it, it is. It might be those. It might be, but it can't clear the FDA for whatever reason. I can't remember. But it's like there's there's issues like that. And some people find like doctors cite frustrations with that. But at the same time, I mean, the FDA is trying to act in the best interest of, of U.S. citizens in that if it has a concern with something, it's not going to allow it to be sold because right. there's a concern that it could be worse for people than not being treated at all. And, maybe. you know, the medical industry doesn't always get it right. I mean, it no. took a while before we were like, oh, hey, smoking. Yeah, we you know, don't we don't really fully understand everything about the human body yet. With everything in science, it's and that's what's so f- sometimes frustrating about it. And that's what leads to alternative medicine is that everything in science, everything, there's no always. <laughs> it's this is our best guess we accumulate i mean isn't even like gravity still just a theory right yeah i mean well, it's I mean, one that a lot of people are like yeah we 99.9 we accumulate knowledge gradually right like we don't we everything's don't a bell curve yeah exactly and that's what's it's frustrating about it because you we fucking we want that fucking answer you know what i'm saying yeah i mean i think people don't like to to, to see that you know cancer seems like such an affliction on society because it's it is varied and you know it's it's unpredictable and it's it's about mutations and there's so many factors like your lifestyle um things that happen in society uh excuse me sorry listeners i when i was a kid i grew up near somebody who got leukemia and she passed away and her family lived near high tension power lines and they thought for sure that that's what caused it like and you've heard you've probably heard stories like that before that like high tension power lines lead to poor health. Yeah. Like, but I used these, to like to play on them. Yeah, I bet you did. Yeah. Oh. I would skateboard down them. <laughs> Doing sick grinds. Yeah. Dark, dark, <laughs> fucking dark slides. Regular Tony Hawk pro skater. Over oh, yeah, here. dude. Um, but I mean, I don't, I think there's, you know, like the proliferation of mobile devices. There's always some new stuff is coming out all the time. And it's like plastics, plastic. Like we still don't even, there's still research about yeah. whether. Even BPA-free plastic in our food. In, right. Like, if you're sous-viding stuff, sous-vide, yeah. uh, and you're using, like, oh, well, these are BPA-free pla-, But it's, like, you're still heating up plastic directly on contact <laughs> with your food. Right. You're I literally, mean, like, 
taking everything out of it except the food and your plastic. Right. And then dropping it in a warm water bath. And it's like, we still are kind of like, it's like, yeah, okay. But it's like, we don't know. I mean, plastic is everywhere. We don't, you know, it, it became a, what were, uh, what were, um, ease of living marvels in yesteryear. Yeah. We're suddenly now realizing like, oh shit, like maybe we should have, uh, you know, yeah, maybe we should have looked into this a little more. I personally, I try to stay away from plastic as much as possible. It's fucking hard, but I'll use glass. I drink out of glass, ceramic. I mean, am I, am I crazy for that? I don't know. I think there's actual scientific research that's kind of saying like, Hey, be careful with plastic. Well, and I'll say this too. Like, yeah, I agree with you. Also, the environmental factor with plastic, you know? Right. It's not a big I, thing. And I agree with you. I think that we don't really understand all the consequences of things. And even through extensive testing, like, one thing that you can't really test for is, like, long-term effects. Right. How long, you know, how long does that clinical trial take? Right. I mean, you're not going to have- you got to get the specific people. <laughs> I mean, it's like- you, The sample size of that population? You'll never have, like, a hundred-year-long clinical trial. No. Which is really, in some cases, what you probably need is, like, to look at this over, like, generations, like, or, like, a 200-year clinical trial, but it would never happen. Um, one thing I'll say, too, uh, though, is that, like, there is- in this country specifically, lots of regulation around like food grade plastics and you know is. Uh, coronavirus didn't start here. Yeah. And and one Let's thing say that. That's not a knock that's a knock against the Chinese government. <laughs> Watch out, China, it's coming for the you. The people of China, you know what? They're rallying back mm-hmm. as they should, because there are some very lax policies, it seems, over there. Right. With public health. Yeah. And and like in this country, you know, if you're like your your plastic containers need to say microwave safe if it's safe for the microwave. They can't say that if it's not safe for the microwave. Right. And that's like, again, the USDA like makes rules that say like however many parts per million of like whatever the chemical is, I can't remember, that leaches into the food. Like it's not toxic at a certain Obviously, the like, name of it is lychee goo goo. Yeah, lychee goo goo. How many lychee goo goos get into your, your foo food? Like- <laughs> They there's limits to it, and the limit, the legal limit, is like way, way, way below what's even close to toxic. So you know, but this again, is America, we fucking do it to the extreme. Yeah, it's like if good we, or bad. Yeah, whatever it is, <laughs> we do it the hardest. Um, so it's like I mean, there's lots of laws and stuff, and and they're all designed to keep you safe. But nobody really knows. Like, if I have a little plastic container, and it, let's say this is a really fucking good plastic container. Oh yeah, and I take my lunch in it every day. And I I wash it in a dishwasher every night, uh, and every day I bring something and I microwave it uh, at the office. And I work in that job for sixty four years until I die while sitting. Could have made desk. it another five. I couldn't. Uh, not me. Sixty nine. Not me. I'm not going to make it that far. <laughs> this is about me. Uh, I mean, like okay. How do we know right. what the effect of that is? Uh, you know, it's like I heated it in the microwave. I had who knows what kind of food I had in it and then what the reaction is. I washed it every night in the dishwasher. What kind of dishwasher detergent am I using? Am I using the 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 Cascade pods or the little finish tablets? Like what difference does it make? Who knows? There's so many variables. So many. At some point, you just have to kind of accept that like there's too much to control for. <laughs> yeah. Like there's no... This is what we get back to. There is no quick fix. There's no quick fix. You can't fix. eliminate one thing and then expect that that's going to save you. There's plastic all around me at all times. I know, have nice and- glass 
a container I do at home. Too. I like glass. That I like. It has a plastic lid. And you know, I don't take the lid off. Well, is it silicone or is it plastic? Is oh, it the same I, thing? I think, I don't know. I have no idea. But the point is, I don't take the lid off when I put it in the microwave. I need the lid on. You need the lid on because it causes steam. I don't. Look, I'm not going to make the microwave at work all splattery with my soup. How many fucking times do you walk in there <laughs> oh, geez. and you see the goddamn microwave covered in somebody's fucking chili? Take a paper towel and wipe it out. What kind of a pig are you? People are discussing it. There's no quick fix, Andy. There's no quick fix. These people, people are won't even fucking clean out the communal microwave and then they expect to go do some fad fucking ah, diet and exercise. Guess. They take their stuff out with time left on the clock and they don't reset the microwave. That's a minor inconvenience, but come on, come it's not on. hard. Listeners, one button push and it's there's clear. one goddamn thing we want you to take away from this fucking episode. Who knows what a microwave does? <laughs> What's that doing to my food? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, or it's just, it's light, but like what else is in the microwave? So many know. variables, so many variables. <laughs> anyway, Become I a more informed consumer and clean the microwave. That's it. One rule. And it's a combined rule. Andy, let's bring it back to some personal stories. Let's bring it back. And alternative medicine. Now, oh, yeah, go, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, uh, big Pharma. Big Pharma. Uh, are we going to move on from Big Pharma? Maybe we're going to move on from Okay, big well, I just want to say one more thing. Uh, and I'll try to make this brief so okay, we can make get on to alternative medicine. Boxer big, or brief? Big Pharma economics, too. We talked a lot about it. We talked a lot about the Big Pharma line is kind of like, they need to price these drugs so high in the U.S. because there's not the same... Pressure. The U.S. uses a lot of of the drugs. They need to price them high to help build in money to do research and development. You're right. That's kind of a myth. Here's one other thing I want to throw out at you is that a lot of these companies are public companies. That means that their uh, whole purpose is to generate profits for shareholders. Shareholders get really mad when when companies don't make what they feel like is enough profit. So these companies set targets and things and. This has been a problem in the market for like 20, 30 years where even small slight misses on what your projected revenue earnings per share are cause a big decrease in your share price, which hurts all of the shareholders together. It's a complicated web because, I mean, it's like a lot of institutional shareholders and all this. It's not like individual people saying, I don't care for that. It's a lot of like like institutional shareholders uh, making these decisions. But it's just something to think about too is that a lot of the same pressure that most other like corporations in the U.S. are under to continue to push profits forward for shareholders, pharma, big pharma companies are under as well. And I think that drives a lot of this decision making, not because they're doing it because they're greedy. It's because they have to do it for their shareholders. It's just uh, the nature of the beast. And so when we talk about a bad system, I think that's part of it, too, that needs to be reformed is that you need to figure out a way to like like square that. Right. To make it so that it's not such a problem. That's all I want to say. I have no idea what, I don't know what other countries do. Well, you know, if it's fully socialized medicine, obviously it's like the profits kind of don't matter because yeah. the government's going to bail you out. But, um, you know, in, in more like single payer, you know, they negotiate the prices basically. Like the government negotiates the prices. That's kind of a crazy one. But think about it. That's what like big pharma companies are saying is like, like the UK, for example, yeah. negotiates the prices that get paid for the stuff. They don't have to do that in the US. So they're relying on the US to like, the US has to not only like offset whatever they lose, if they lose anything in like providing drugs to a country like the UK, but then the US also has to build in the profit margin to like economically 
like not destroy the share price, which is really at the end of the day, the only thing that matters. Yeah. And I mean, it's kind of wild that, you know, in the documentary that we used for research showed that a lot of the people who pushed that bill through, um, were all being, you know, had major contributions from pharmaceutical companies <laughs> yeah, in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. I, yeah, but, I, I but it's saying, like, can you ever imagine I don't wanna, the military I don't wanna... not uh, negotiating the price of like using uh, new weaponry or stuff? Like right now, the 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 U.S. military is still. I mean, they've been in talks with replacing the like M sixteen M four kind of um, weapons system yeah. for a long time, and there's like three major companies: Sig Sauer, Textron, and one other one I forget. That are like they've always been in the running. They're I think Sig Sauer just got like a bid to replace all secondary pistols with their version. They're getting rid of the Beretta. Or, or maybe they're in toxic. But can you imagine the U.S. military not negotiating with those companies what the prices are going to be and all this stuff? Right, like, just accepting just it. would never happen. Um, though the government sometimes does this. Like they make a bid and they take the bid and then... The contractor charges whatever the bid is. So it's like, yeah. you know, there's those famous stories about like $10,000 screws and stuff to go into things. I mean, and that's that because that's what it is. I mean, but it's it's like bureaucratic and it's not thoughtful. Corruption's never going to end. Right. I mean, there's no way to totally stamp it out, but right. it's like we can we can help design the system to make it more fair. Right. And I think that's the big thing is like right now healthcare in the US is kind of unfair. Fucking sucks. I mean, I mean like the fact that so many people go bankrupt like you know, whether you feel like healthcare is a human right or not yeah. is a whole other discussion. But right. I think we can all agree that, like, getting cancer <laughs> from something that you can't control, yeah. from a mutation in your cells, like, shouldn't cause you to go bankrupt. Right. And, it, you know, it's like people say, well, you know, you should have had a job. A lot of people do, but there's maximums on insurance. Sure. You can't, not everything always gets paid for. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's part of the problem is like, you could exceed, like, you might have a million dollar lifetime maximum on your health insurance. You could exceed that <laughs> in only a year's yeah. worth of cancer treatments. Chemotherapy is very expensive. It's insane. Radiation treatments are expensive. All of this stuff is very expensive. Yeah. Um, you know, economically, like these big healthcare companies, it's the same kind of pressures. Like, their job is to make profits, not to deliver you good care. I think that healthcare companies are a lot like universities where it's like the costs keep going up. And I think the people benefiting are like administrators more than it's like nurses or, yeah, or we're doctors not, we're who, not are, shitting on who, the nurses. who are actually providing you care and doing a really good job of it. You know, but it's like, you know. Screw you, fucking nurse that just worked two night shifts in a row. God, art. Coming home on the train. It's your fault. Like nurses and doctors do such a good job, like for the most part, taking yes. care of us. Nurses I mean, are great. Nurses are, don't get enough credit. There are some Let's doctors give who a are shout corrupt. out to the nurses. Nurses, nurses don't benefit at all None. from prescription drugs. It's all doctors because nurses, nurses so can't nice. prescribe. Nurse comes in, you chat with the nurse. Nurse actually does all the stuff. Doctor comes in, fucking starts rubbing you around. They're all cold and shit. Fucking warm up your hands. Why do they always rub me when they walk in? Can I just say too, if you're not a people person, don't become a doctor. <laughs> There's some doctors out there who really, and this is coming from me. I think have most, very poor social skills. I mean, I think a lot of doctors aren't people persons. Oh my god, dude! Some of them are just so becoming a doctor bad. is hard. You have to you dedicate have to be such a nerd a lot of your life to like learning yes. medicine and about biology. And you it's have to be crazy. a nerd. Yeah, an antisocial nerd. Yeah. I said it. Yeah, doctors are nerds. 
And some of them, though, and God if you come to the bunker, damn. any doctor comes to the bunker, we'll freaking dunk on we'll you. We'll fucking dunk on you. And we'll put your top of your head in the open face toilet. That's right. Swirly. And I've got some stories. So, you know, all right. with all this big That's, pharma stuff. I just want to throw the no, economic point. The not economic pressures out. I'm not trying to make big pharma look like a victim here because no. it, it's complicated, right? It's very complicated. So I just want to throw that out that that's part of the whole thing, too. That's why I liken it to a hentai. That's right. Okay, there are tentacles. America is a supple, young, animated- I mean, tentacles can go into the in urethra, orifice, into the butthole, the yes. mouth, the ears, all at the same time. America with gigantic anime-style tits. I mean, massive tits. Huge tits. You know? And a body frame that anatomically cannot work. And big pharma Physiologically, has, it's not possible. Physiologically, not possible. And the tendrils everywhere. Tentacles all over the place. Suction cups. Inserting. So much fluid. Being taken out. So, so, much, so much like everywhere. Dripping fluid drawn. Just uh, all over the place. Anyway. Anyway, alternative medicine. <laughs> so I'm a sufferer. Yeah. Of psoriasis. I suffer so hard. Feel bad for me. Uh, listeners. For the for the listeners who don't know, what's psoriasis? Uh, it's like, you know, eczema, some fucking skin shit. I don't know. I have it on my scalp. It's called it's dermatitis. A, it's seboharic dermatitis. It's a skin irritation. It's listeners. a skin irritation. I didn't figure that Art would say, oh, it's, I like eczema. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted you to explain it. I don't fucking know. It's a skin irritation. It's a skin. You get like scales. Yeah. Essentially. You get these, it's like a, dry, a chronic dry skin. Dry plaque. You get this plaque buildup. It's disgusting. There I had go. it for a long time. It was brought on by highly stressful situation during my college years. It was brought on by using some products that were bad for me. For me, not for other people, but for me. I Art did a lot of supplements in college. Uh, yeah. I experimented with a lot of alternative medicine yeah. in my day. Oh, I know. I used Nopu, which is a, a thought process of not using shampoo because sodium lauryl sulfate is so evil and it's this evil product that you don't need that's in all these soaps. You see this today in, in advertising. This I bought is, into it. Oh, I know where Art's going, and he and I are going to have a big disagreement on this. No, I mean, I'm not. Well, listen, let me, let me finish. Okay. I wanted desperately to cure my psoriasis because we live in a hygienic modern society where, you know, it's not, uh, it, uh, it, it hurt my self-esteem. I didn't, I felt, um, I didn't feel confident when I would have these bad flare-ups. And, you know, I've, it's gotten a some of it's spread. I've got it on my nose. I've got it in other areas. It's hard. It's got whatever. Penis. It's on. It's all over my penis. All over my penis. His knobby, scaly penis. Very, it's like a dragon's dick. Dragon's dick. Dragon's dick. Come along and take a pick. I remember that show from the BBC, <laughs> Dragon's Dick, <laughs> where where you come in with your business proposal and the dragons <laughs> either come on you or. <laughs> Or just fuck you and fly away. Is this like a Shark Tank variety? It was the progenitor of Shark Tank, if I'm not mistaken. I tried washing my hair with uh, vinegar. I tried, God, who knows what else. Acne, same deal. I've had cystic, had terrible cystic acne my whole life. You want to know what worked? Harsh prescription drugs <laughs> are the only things that have ever treated me. There's... There's no business move to cure psoriasis. You know, it's not like life-threatening. They're not going to care about that revenue stream. Accutane, right? I did Accutane. Accutane fucking worked. Mm -hmm. Now, that being said, it's a harsh drug. Right. And you need to talk to your dermatologist or your doctor before using it. And I went through 
tons of different treatments before they finally said, nothing's working. We got to try Accutane. I had to get my blood drawn every month. I had to have a psych evaluation every month. Mm -hmm. They ask you if you're suicidal. Because Accutane can make you suicidal. That's fucking nuts. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not that intense. It's not chemotherapy. But it's the most intense drug I've ever been on. Right. Where it's like, yeah, this drug can make you suicidal. It yeah. can make you depressed. Yeah. It, For something relative, I mean, I don't want to downplay it. No, no, no. But, you know, it's relatively it seems hard. relatively mundane. It's a, I mean, it was painful, but it's mostly just that it's unsightly. Right. It's unsightly, but it is painful and it's a thing. And it hurts your like, self-confidence. I, I mean, I don't want to. I think if you have a problem, you should get it fixed yeah. if you want to fix it. Yeah. You know? I mean, these, these, I yeah, caustic acne is disgusting. It's, or cystic, whatever. Excuse me. That being said, same thing with psoriasis, right? The only thing that's ever worked mm-hmm. for me are intense prescription drugs and in prescription shampoos that are harsh. Mm-hmm. It's something you got to deal with and it's something that there is no cure for. So what I'm saying is like, it goes both ways. People are willing to put just about anything in their bodies. And you like the alternative medicine person and the person who despises that stuff, like the total science bro, you know, that, you know, these people who are like, how can you not believe science? Oh yeah. You know, it's like, they're like almost sometimes the the same side of a, of the coin. Right. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is for me, those things work for some people. It might find that, you know, I have friends who don't have to wash their face. They just have better genetics than me. I got oily, greasy, Italian skin, okay? And I went to so many different doctors before I found He's the right one. He's using here. Oh, I did. I went to a bunch of do- one doctor, terrible bedside manner. This doctor came in, looked at me, and then just left. And then I was just sitting in the exam room. And then eventually a nurse came in and was like, oh, yeah, you can leave. I was like, what the fuck? Like, no goodbye? <laughs> doctor didn't even say goodbye. Just left. Mm, okay. I was like, I'm supposed to know? Hard to know that the appointment's over. Eventually, I found a doctor with amazing bedside manner, and she did a great job prescribing me all sorts of stuff. I was like, I came in, I was like, I got this acne, I got the psoriasis. She's like, all right, let's start it one at a time. Let's figure out the acne stuff, because maybe that'll fix the psoriasis stuff. Mm -hmm. The Accutane, I got to tell you, I have never had better scalp and skin than when I was on Accutane, but you can't stay on it forever because it's terrible. Anyway, what I'm saying is, you know, I'm not going to recommend what you put in your body. It's your body. Everybody's different. So, you know, what works for you might not work for some people can fucking just, you know, get by with uh, alternative medicines and feeling good. And they'll take some, I mean, I'm not telling them to go do that, but yeah, I'm saying there are people who are like, oh, well, I take this essential oil and that's all I need. It's like, well, maybe you just have better genetics than me. You probably do. I, I mean, yeah. And I don't think we can, we can rule out the placebo effects here either. Placebo is it. One hell of a drug. I mean, your mind is way more complicated than even your body is, which is very complicated. Um, and the interaction between the two is uh, intense and strange mm-hmm. and uh, sort of like me making love. Um, <laughs> and sometimes, you know, you do something that I think you said it before. It's like if it makes you feel good in some sense, that may alleviate the symptoms that you're experiencing. Um it doesn't do anything. Yeah. But if you feel better about it, you may just feel better overall. When I'm stressed or when I don't get a lot of sleep, guess what? That's when I get bad flare-ups. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> I think I think as a civilization, uh, as human beings, we could all use more sleep. Oh my God, and I think so that sad. that would change public health in a dramatic way. And 
honestly, it means it, it probably will never happen. But it means like shortening work days. Um, there should be a four-day work week. Changing school times. Like kids get indoctrinated now to waking up really early. When I was going through puberty at age 26. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was like, I was 15, 16, sophomore year of high school. Yeah. I was fucking exhausted every day. I would fall asleep in biology class. I would fucking pass out. I was so fucking tired because you're waking up at like, I was waking up at like 6.30 in the morning to get to school. A, a friend of mine- It sucked. A friend of mine told me that um, her her child who is um, like like seven years old or something, eight years old. Um, Great age. I wish I could go back. Oh, yeah. But hold on. You may, may change your mind after this. Um, so they are, uh, they sent her to uh, a non-English, she goes to a public school- and then to a non-English school, you know, like a foreign language school. Um, and she got homework one night um, for two hours from the foreign language school. Jeez. In addition to homework for the public school. Homework is so fucking stupid. Homework is dumb. And this is a child fewer than 10 years old. Yeah. How is this good? It's so dumb. Two hours. You come home at like 4 p.m. Damn. You have to work until 6 p.m. And that's only half the homework. Anyway, you're going to bed at like 8? Yeah. I mean, it's like, <laughs> I mean, and a kid should be in bed early because they're going to have to get up early. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, we're, we're addressing a problem with the American education system right, as well, maybe which not, is where we teach the test. Right. This here. is probably not as big a deal in Japan, yeah. for example. Well, maybe not. Maybe Japan's kind of a wrong. Uh, well, yeah, I guess maybe. But it, education incredibly rigorous education system. Yeah, but is it as much? It's more like in the school instruction, right? Is there homework in Japan? How I much? I think so. Uh, Listen, I'm getting this from anime. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I Japan, guess I should get at us. I shouldn't make. Yeah, Japan. If Jap- Japanese listeners, let us know what your education system is. Or I mean, you don't know the Chinese, a lot about- Chinese school system. I. Like they stay in school from like eight a.m. till ten p.m. Yeah, it's it's and then you know and then uh, that's the whole day. That's not sustainable. That's terrible for children. And you know, there's a lot of issues with cheating where yeah. it's either actively encouraged or yeah, it's like these, just something you got to do. Kids, they they have boyfriends, they have girlfriends, and <laughs> they don't stay faithful. <laughs> and right. I mean, it's a product of the school system. Ashwagandha is a <laughs> herbal supplement. I use a lot of herbal supplements. Uh, what, this is cherry root extract? Yes. I I am a strong advocate for it. Yes, you are. You bring up ashwagandha. And there is, there is clinical evidence that you can look up looking towards that ashwagandha does have moderate success with stress relief and anxiety. I've used it. This is my personal anecdote. Now, it doesn't work for everyone. My father-in-law took ashwagandha, hurt his tummy. <laughs> he didn't want to take it. I tell you what, when he I take, was he was uh, in issue interest of full disclosure here. He was putting it on the blade of a knife and stabbing it into his gut. <laughs> That's not how you're supposed to take it. Why do people think that? But he stopped because it hurt his tummy. When I take ashwagandha, I get the deepest, most relaxing sleep, and I wake up, I feel like a fucking god on earth. I can't describe it, Andy. It's so weird. I wake up instantly. Like I don't wake up groggy. I wake up instantly, and I'm like. Let's get started with the day. Like, I am awake, fully ready to go, run 10 fucking miles. Good sleep is something Oh, like it's that. incredible. I, I think it's because 
we so rarely get it yeah. that when you actually get it, it's it's it feels weird because it's but that's how it should be all the time. Andy, you ever do any experiments with alternative medicine or therapies? Do anything like that? <sighs> not really. I mean, mm. honestly, I'm sorry. I'm not contributing a lot of. I mean, I haven't had that many medical problems in my life. I mean, mm. you know, like I have a generally like shitty body, but it's like it's things that modern <laughs> science knows a lot about, and like it's stuff that it's like, well, I know what I have to do to fix it, but like I'm terrible at lifestyle. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I have a terrible lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And I'm not doing myself any favors. No, you're not. Yeah. Um, but I never had any and personality. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna maybe be in your camp because uh, I've got like eczema, I think. Yeah. Because uh, I got these like dry. You take oh, a little topical steroids. Dry, it's not a- Scaly shoulders, my feet deal. look disgusting. Uh, my knees are getting it. Uh, my ball sack's completely cased over <laughs> in dried skin. God, um, this ball sack's so cheap. But you know, speaking of my ball sack, um, the surgery I had, the the sperm extraction. Um, listeners, uh, I'm sterile biologically. Andy, famously sterile. Uh, it's called azoospermia. Uh, is the medical term. Any uh, of you out there have had azoospermia? Please write in and write I'll in. commiserate with you. <laughs> um, and um, what was I get? Where was I going with this? Well, you know, it's like I have sperm, but they don't mature. Right. So they much don't like s- your personality. <laughs> yeah. It's been they imag- really reflect. <laughs> I mean, it's I mean, it makes sense <laughs> in the, the grand scheme of things that there are actual sperm. They just don't mature, so they're not good at anything. Um, so. In order, they, you know, as part of this diagnosis process, they try a lot of different things. I was on um, uh, testosterone medication. Like you were real aggressive. Yeah, yeah. Boy, listeners, you weren't there for that chapter. Oh, uh, Andy was aggressive. It was anestrozole that I took. Um, but yeah, that was very interesting because it was like this thing of like, you just feel like, I like little things would just like, I would flare. And yeah. I mean, you experienced <laughs> yeah, it like, and sad. I would just go, like completely to eleven. Your in your rage. semi road rage was ten times worse. Yeah, during that. yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm surprised I didn't like purposefully <laughs> cause accidents. Um, but um, you know, I took I took that for a while, and I took it even after. I mean, they eventually they did a surgery on me, uh, to try to extract sperm directly from my testes, which was unsuccessful. Um, um, a robot did it. Uh, the doctor controlled a robot. I had a really good doctor <laughs> who had a ro- who had a who had a robot slave. A robot could- did it. <laughs> a robot came in and took my sperm away. Like you said that, like it was like you were confessing something. Like, <laughs> I saw a robot like do it. You were in a criminal trial, and they were like, "Who did it?" A robot did. I it. was like a janitor, and I saw the robot bisecting a testicles. Uh, <laughs> But I mean, that's what they did. They cut they cut the sack in half, and they take the the tissue out. And oh, don't like listening. My wife had to put it on ice and drive it to the. Come on, man! Uh, And they didn't find anything, so I had all that for nothing. But uh, you have to do it to to check. And I had a really good doctor. And uh, one thing after the surgery is like I was still on this anestrozole. Speaking of like unintended, like unknown, like side effects, um, I would have had to have. I stopped taking it. Um, cause he said it was really my choice. I could do whatever I wanted. Like I could stay on it because I have, um, like hormones in my body. Like I have, uh, lower testosterone and higher estrogen, um, which explains my rockin' boobies. 
Um, and also, you're a great head of hair. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, so he was like, you could keep taking it if you wanted, because if you like, you know, like the net effect sure. for me was like more energy. Right. And, um, like somewhat sexual, like oh. more. Oh, my God. Right. Uh, Art kicks the bunker table. I'm adjusting. Uh, you know, it's like you have more like stamina. Yeah. Um, and more desire, I guess, like a better libido. Yeah. Um, but I would have had to have a bone density scan every year because it also has the effect of like, for some people, it can like make your bones really weak. Like it can really hurt the density of your Whoa, bones. I got weak bones. I got a strong boner, but a weak, weak bones. Um, so I mean, those are like, I mean, I have I have high blood pressure. Yeah, I take a I take a medication for that. Yeah, but that's not all. You never did any inter- alternative medicine. That's that's more of one that's like that's a lifestyle change. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, that's and that's why I say I'm bad at lifestyle. But right. like, I could probably get off the medication if I changed my lifestyle enough. And and I didn't I didn't have like an opportunity to do like alternative to this. Like, it's not like well, you should get this under control. I mean, I guess I did. Uh, we went but- on the. Uh, the salt binge 20, when was that? 2018. Yeah. I I was there for that. Yeah. Where I was ex- taking as much sodium, so many sausages I ate. Oh God. Uh, yeah. We went to a sausage restaurant. Great place. Uh, uh, but you know, it, it's, uh, it's like, I've never, I mean, that was because I had an event where I almost had a stroke. So I was like urgent that I needed to like, yeah, you weren't like, Oh, let me experiment with my facial routine. <laughs> right. So I've never really tried anything. Um, so I don't know. Uh, I, but I'm, it's not like something I'm opposed to. It's just like, yeah. you know, I am a skeptic. And yeah, I've, sure, sure. I've had good medical care my whole life for the most part, uh, or at least what I feel is good medical care. Yeah. Uh, and every doctor I've ever seen has never said, like, you just need prescriptions to fix this. It's like... You shouldn't need a prescription. Yeah. You should fix this with your lifestyle. And I think that's what a doctor should tell you. Yeah. I think that's what everyone should tell you about your health. They, 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 you know, the famous thing is like, oh, diet, exercise. It's like that should be the forefront when it comes to like your medical care. Yeah. And if you don't like your doctor listeners, there are resources online. There's even a catalog that I believe is a put out by the government. I'm forgetting the name. I think you can just search like doctor... Maybe I'll look it up and try and put it in the show notes. But it's a catalog that shows what, how much money your doctor's been taking in from various oh, yeah, interests. Yeah, I've seen this before. Uh, I've used it to look up doctors. I had a dermatologist who I saw was getting paid big money from to do things like medical conferences and, and buy, buy pharmaceutical companies, put out papers. And I was like, I don't like that. So I went and I found a different mm-hmm. derm. Now, a lot of doctor's offices will get Lunches paid for by pharmaceutical companies. That's fine. I think for me, red flags are my doctors being paid to go to some conference. Yeah. Where they, uh, oh, they really, they really talk about how great this drug is. It's like, well, yeah. You know, yeah. How good is that drug really? You know, is that, these are sham conferences is what I'm saying. Yeah. And I think those are for me, red flags for you. You might feel differently, but yeah, I think, at the bottom line, what Andy and I are saying is become a better informed consumer about your alternative medicine and about your allopathic medicine. Yeah, and I don't think, like, don't... Inform yourself. Yeah, don't limit yourself either. Like, don't think that all uh, homeopathic remedies are no. just... Honey baloney. is a panacea, my dude. Honey? You ever had a sore throat and you put some fucking honey in your throat? Oh, my 
God, it feels so good. Chil children are cannot take cough medicine. Oh, honey's so good. And for if they you. have a cough, if they're over a year old, don't give don't give honey to a child under a year old because right. they could get botulism. And th that says that on the honey. Yeah, I mean, literally, don't do it if you're thinking about it. But and it says it on the honey. If you have a child that's more than one years old, a sore throat, a cough, a little bit of honey, cayenne pepper, another great uh, yeah. panacea. Yeah. Spicy, spicy food will clear out your sinuses and clear out. Masturbation is good for clearing out the sinuses. Okay, yeah. so therefore you can go and uh, justify it. Um, I, I like. Uh, I'll, I'm feeling a little stuffed up today. I'm gonna crank off. If I, if I have, if I have allergies and I have, and I have like congestion in my head, I don't like to take a pill for it because the thing that clears the congestion best for me is horseradish. Horseradish. Horse so maybe, radish. maybe I'm lying. Maybe I have. There you go. Horseradish. I take a spoonful of horseradish, yeah. and you know it blasts open your sinuses. Yeah. And I think it's great. I mean, I take you know, allergy medication now. I I mean, I have. Before. I opted for the pills because yeah. I was like, I'm not going to come in for treatment for this bullshit. I, I've I've taken over the counter stuff, but Get I mean, fucking surgery. You know, it's like don't don't close yourself off to like some of these more home remedies because you might find that they help you just as much as anything else. Yeah. And I had a great doctor who, you know, you just got to find good doctors that that really are personable and care. Doctors sometimes will tell you about these things too. Yeah. I mean, they will say, I mean, like we said, dentists will tell you to swish with salt water. Yeah. That's not, that's nothing. I mean, they don't make any money on that. They're not like, not like big salt. Morton, <laughs> you know, like the Morton's girl Morton's. is dropping off an, an envelope, an unmarked oh, envelope yeah. stuffed with, with hundred dollar bills to my dentist. That, like that yellow umbrella. Oh, she's, you know, it's her. You know, she, it's her. She got that slicker in the umbrella. Andy, let's transition quick. Because we're, you know, we, we are, <laughs> this is a thick episode. This is a thick episode. You're getting it, listeners. Um, we got to talk about Goop. Goop! You know, Goop gets a lot of flack, and it deserves it, I think. Yes, I'll agree with that. They are, I mean... They took it too far, right? Yeah. It's like healing crystals and stuff, fine. You can't make claims. You can't start making claims. That's where that's where the line's drawn. You can't also give something dangerous. Am I wrong in thinking that the right. jade eggs were getting stuck in people's vaginas? They were getting stuck in people's cooters. They were getting their jade is porous, right? And therefore, that's why the medical community is like, don't stick jade up your fucking vagina. It's an infection risk. Yes, because it's porous material. It can get. I mean, folks, you're shit up there. Like we we joke a lot about our genitals on this podcast. Some say too much. Some people are wrong. But, but they're wrong. They're wrong. Uh, sincerely, like, your genitals are very sensitive. Incredibly sensitive. Because it's an area that we protect a lot. We don't walk around nude. I wear a jock strap every day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and with two cups. If people would stop hitting me in the balls so much. I, <laughs> I carry around a wooden baseball bat, and I <laughs> whack Art in the groin every time I see him. It's a game. Uh, you know, if you're a young but, boy and you're squirrel tapping each other, that's not, you know... Be careful. Your genitals are very sensitive. You know, the risk of infection is very high. So you have to be careful. Yeah. You don't want to put a lot of soap on your your parts unless you wash it off right away. Like, you know, if you're a woman, you don't want to soap inside. Yeah, Keep yeah, it on yeah. the surface so Listen, you can wash it off. I don't know how to clean a vagina. I'm not going to sit here and act like I do. Okay? I barely can locate one. I can't, I can't locate the vagina. Forget the clitoris. Where's the vagina? <laughs> Females, you know how to take care of your vaginas, okay? But I am going to bring this up. 
I was browsing Reddit, and oh, um, I'm not subs- R porn gifts. <laughs> Hell yeah, gone wild. <laughs> um, no, uh, one of the uh, default subreddits you are subscribed to automatically is R two X chromosome. I think it's called. It's a subreddit for females. It's two X chromosome. You get subscribed to that automatically. It's a default one. So if you're browsing while you're not logged in. You're oh. going to see the default. Oh, I see. I see. It's like our funny, our gif, our video. Right. You know. But I think this gets at, this This person's post really gets at why people are drawn to things like goop. We mentioned this in the script, but the title is, I'm tired of being forced slash coerced into pelvic exams and pap smears simply to obtain birth control. We deserve better. I'm so sick of this. It's exhausting. After years of struggling with side effects, I finally found an oral contraceptive that works for me this week. I called my doctor's office to get a refill and was told that I'd have to come in for a pap exam. So this person, I'm not going to read it because it's like 80 fucking paragraphs long. But she's talking about how bullshit it is that these doctors don't want to listen. And it's like, why do I need a pap smear to, which I'm going to be honest, I don't know what a pap smear is. I think it's very invasive and it's not comfortable. Um, uh, w- Listeners with cervixes, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that they take like a a broom-shaped tool, they stick it into the cervix oh, and like scrape it. Oh, and, good and then, God. I don't know what the purpose is. I mean, to be honest yeah. with you, I don't know what- I don't, I don't know what to talk about. Let's stop talking about it. I don't know what a doctor learns from that, but I think they like take a little broom and like scrape Well, can we cervix. just be honest? Here's my conspiracy theory. All doctors are sick fucks. <laughs> They're just, they just want to see people naked. Yeah. That's all you guys want to do. Mm. Like, oh, there's a profession where I can look at people nude all day long? And I don't have to do porn. Um, Become a doctor. You know, uh, most doctors now don't make you get nude. Yeah, that's true. They get you down to your undies and just then they just, they just pull down your waistband and tickle your ding dong. <laughs> yeah. Your doctor tickles your ding dong, right? Uh, no. And I've they always say some funny joke like, boy, that's very small. <laughs> yeah. It's a hilarious joke because you famously have a humongous monster truck tire well, thick hog. We both have very thick hogs. Right. Very thick. It's yeah. THICC, folks. <laughs> Thick hogs. But this is what I'm getting at: is like voluptuous hogs. The medical industry, and there, there, there are failings in the medical industry. And Absolutely, I think, I think women feel that you know they they want to be heard, and that's what. And so it's like, okay, I'm a female. I'm going to my doctor, and my doctor's making me get a fucking pap smear every time, and this is bullshit. And then it's like, Goop's like, oh, hey, 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 it's okay. Come here. Come here. Oh, I have some little milk and cookies. I have huh. some psychic vampire repellent. You don't need those big, bad, mean doctors. <laughs> yeah. We're, we'll take care of you. Come here. And it's like, I, can, I can't fault people for falling in love with this, this, this stuff. Yeah, but I have to say, like, I think this gets back to what you said earlier. If you don't like your doctor... Do some research. And, and you find have a the means doctor. of finding a new Some people right. don't. I mean, doctors that's an hour the thing away. Too. That's the thing, too, is like, I mean, I know sometimes you're forced into having a doctor that you don't like. Right. But I think if you have options for your doctor, like you should you should exercise them. Shop. You Shop know? around. It's like I think some people feel like, well, I've had this doctor for a long time. The doctor knows me. If you don't like the doctor, who cares? Like, get a new doctor. <sighs> but I agree with you, too, that I can see why some people think that these alternatives are better, especially when they really don't feel like they're getting good medical care. What do you think, Andy? Do we give a shit about goop? I mean, people really are angry at goop. There's like, like they're fucking, a lot of the videos I'll show you, like there's like people who are just so furious because they're just yeah. such, they get such science boners and it aggravates them to their core. And I can understand that. Goop is blatantly like standing in defiance of everything you've ever 
uh, loved and known to be true in your life. And Goop's just like, ha, 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 no. And they're successful at it. 250 million, you know, but I mean, who's really buying Goop? It's like rich people. Yeah. Do we really give a shit what like wealthy rich people rich are people putting do. up their vaginas? You I know, don't. <laughs> I, I think there is some, well, you know, like the whole science boner thing. It's like, eh, like, I don't know. I mean, we've talked about this a lot before. Like if I don't believe it, it doesn't mean that I have to like chastise you for believing. If you believe in something that's stupid, but it's not harmful, I yeah. don't care. Um, you know, we're we're proponents of, in a way, of pseudoscience, alternative history. We're bringing it up. Because I think that we both agree that, like, these are people that help push the boundaries a little bit, even if they're completely wrong. Um, but they're presenting alternatives, and sometimes that's a good thing. And, like, look at it this way, and maybe this is a bad argument, but, like, 30, 40 years ago, potheads would have been the pseudoscientists, right? Right, yeah. They would have been, the, but it's like today, well, we know that marijuana has a lot there of medicinal benefits. benefits. Yeah. yeah. I'm not saying that, that like, oh, these things, like, Goop is getting in trouble. They are doing bad things. They are right. making false claims that they are then getting sued for. Jade eggs so. are dangerous. Rightfully so. <laughs> yes. Like, people in ancient China used to bind their feet together. Right. Are you going to start doing that? Like, yeah, you know, like Victorian women, like crushing their rib cages right. with corsets. Like there's bad stuff. Right. It doesn't mean that we have to bring it back. Ashwagandha because... is a Ayurvedic medicine that's been used in Indian herbal, herbal remedies for years. Should it cost fucking $90? I mean, that's my like, yeah, for me, ashwagandha has been very helpful and I actually need to get a refill. Um, thanks for, for reminding me. Um, Great job, listeners. You know, it's it's like it's if you can't see past that it's so clearly marketed towards wealthy people, like, yeah, you know, I can't help you. I mean, I don't think we care about what wealthy people do. Um, I think the real risk here is that, you know, people like you and I who aren't wealthy get sort of hoodwinked by this a little bit, which yeah. is like. Really, all the, Gwyneth the, Paltrow the, intends it to be is like the, a rich the people who are who are struggling market. paycheck to paycheck think, oh, here's an I, alternative to expensive healthcare. Yeah. Ooh, I gotta get I gotta get that goop stuff, but it really doesn't do anything, and right. they spend disposable income on this thing when really they'd be better off putting it somewhere else, you know, like and this, sticking the money directly in their vaginas. <laughs> it's a great safe. Um, and this is what that YouTube doctor brought up was. He feels it's shortcomings in the medical industry that gives birth to things like goop, gives a market to mm -hmm. things like goop mm -hmm. for people like Paltrow who like, I don't know Gwyneth Paltrow, but like, God damn, does she just fucking just come off as so like in the fucking clouds smug and like, like the thing where she tried to live on food stamps while also like only eating like goop stuff. And then like could only do it for four days and quit because it was hard. Just kind of like, oh, Christ. Yeah. Just stop. Yeah. Like, this is me personally saying it. Yeah. Just fuck off. You know? Yeah. No, I get where you're coming from, and I, like, I, I, echo those, I echo those sentiments. I think it's I think it's pretentious, and, you know, it's like, it's like okay, if you want to do this stupid stuff, and you want to, like, yeah. have a business, like, She's on the fine. Goop Labs, there's the, an episode on, like, their, they try different eating habits, Mm -hmm. As a way to promote, like, I, we put it in the fucking script. I forget. 
But it's like Gwyneth has to go do a fasting thing where she eats this this food that costs $290 a box. And it's this weird, like, I think it's like a soup or a broth that, like, it gives you the feeling of fasting or something. Like, I don't know. It's confusing. And she takes it and bitches about it the whole fucking episode. And it's just like, it's just like, okay, like, <laughs> cool, I guess. I don't know. Like, yeah. congrats. I right. don't know how to help you. Yeah. Yeah. This is your idea. You know, Gwyneth doesn't go and trip on the mushrooms. All the other goop employees do. Right, right. She just does the stuff that she's always done. Yeah. She doesn't know what, like, she didn't know what a vagina was. There's, like, clips of her going on, like, Jimmy Kimmel being like, I don't know what shit we're doing. Like, she says that, like, I don't know what the fuck we're talking about. Yeah. I don't know how much Paltrow is involved in the company. Right. And whatnot. And like most celebrities, I think, just pick different heroes. <laughs> True. Stop idolizing them. Their actors are crazy. <laughs> you know, even if they do, even if they do bring up a good point at Goop about, you know, there being some gaps in the medical profession. Non-judgment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And those, that's very fair. I, I mean, I had a, I had a doctor once, uh, as actually a physician's assistant, um, that I saw who was very like harsh. She was like, well, there's no reason why you can't change your lifestyle. And, She's not wrong. She's right. She's right. <laughs> but it's like not everybody wants to hear it delivered that way. Right. Some people like, really respond to that. Where it's like, you know, I'm not the first person to tell you this, that you're overweight. <laughs> like you need to start doing something about it. And she's not wrong. She's right. But, you know, some people, this, the delivery is not for everybody. Yeah. Um, and, you know. There's small things I by feel like contrast, you've done. By contrast, some people may need to hear it that way. Yeah. People may not take it seriously unless you're harsh about it. But not everybody wants to hear it. Well, there's small things you've done, right? Sure. You started bringing your lunch to work more yeah. often. Yeah, little tiny things. I've been doing yoga. Doing yoga? Uh, I think you've slimmed. I, I think you've slimmed. I got to say, I like yoga. I used to do Pilates a lot. No, you like to fart in public. <laughs> well, I do it at home. Uh, and I fart a lot. Um, <laughs> but I used to do Pilates, and I really liked Pilates uh, you know, Pilates is really like strength focused. I mean, yeah. it's it's intended core, for core dancers. Strength. That's yeah. why it was created. Madonna, um, famously, yeah, created uh, just for Madonna. Hotties doing Pilates, right? Hotties doing Pilates. You get it. Um, that's why I did it because uh, I'm a hottie. <laughs> and yoga is though really nice. Like it I was feel, great. I feel a lot of energy. I wish I did um, more yoga. Uh, I'll tell you this because you said it. We sit all the time, and there's lots of great, like deep. Long stretches like yin yoga. We did a yin. uh, Amanda took me through a yin yoga thing. Oh, man. It hurt like hell. But it's like it felt good the day after. I never feel good doing exercise and I never feel good right after. But like the next day, I feel great. And See, I have the opposite. Last week I was really busy. Didn't do a lot of it. Uh, Life gets in the way. I noticed it. I noticed I was really exhausted every day. And I think that's the difference. You know, there's lots of benefits to even moderate exercise. I'll say this, listeners, if you, which is something I didn't think I'd ever say on a public forum. You're saying it. A lot of breakthroughs on this podcast. Yeah. We're learning. We're developing. Listeners, bunk fuckers out there. If you have always talked about, let this be your wake up call. Like get up, like, like serious. I'm serious. I'm serious. You don't have to tell anybody that this was your wake up call. You don't have to to admit that to anybody. (laughs) Please don't. <laughs> don't. Don't be shunned. Yeah. 
Don't don't ruin your status in the community because you tell on any person that you know that your wake up call was an episode of Mr. Bunger's Conspiracy Time. <laughs> Where like three minutes ago they were talking about vagina jokes. Uh, but no. The the person who gets up off the couch and does anything is still doing more than the person sitting on the couch. So what I say is if you've always wanted to get in shape, listen to this show while taking a walk. That's what I say. A vigorous walk. Take a vigorous walk. Uh, you're gonna feel great, I promise you. And you're go- like I can't vouch for the episode you're listening to. That's you're probably gonna feel sick from that. But you're gonna <laughs> your body's gonna feel great. Yeah. Uh you know, there's there's lots of resources too if you wanna do uh exercise at home, do a little research. Google uh, so much stuff. So much you stuff on YouTube. Feel a garbage bag full of stuff that isn't garbage and lift it up and down. Uh, if you're like a beginning exerciser, there's like do stuff intended for senior citizens. A yeah. lot of it's from a seated position, but it helps work the most. It helps build you up. Push-ups against Start the wall. Start slow. You yeah. can do push-ups against the wall. There's, you know, make sure Start you find slow. something. Yeah. Don't Start go too slow. hard or you'll hurt yourself. I've seen, I've been, I've been lifting weights for a long time. I've, 30 years he's been lifting 30 weights. 30 years. Lifting weights and working out was probably the singular, like biggest I love it. It was a huge change in my life. Confidence boost, strength boost, functional boost, lifestyle boost. So mm-hmm. many boosts. But you got to you got to do your research cuz you know, I like so many other people started out with my workout journey following my buff friend who, mm-hmm. you know, was on the wrestling team yeah. doing crazy uh hypertrophic work hyper yeah, hypertrophy workouts. Yeah. So fucking sore. And then my other friend who came along was like, no, you need to start doing like compound exercises, strength training, build up a base. I'm not, we're not here to talk about working out, but let me tell you, like, it really is just like the, it's just so, there's so many positives, but you got to do it slow. You got to start slow. Mm -hmm. Start fucking jumping in. You're going to injure yourself. Mm -hmm. I've had one injury and it was a hundred percent my fault. Yeah. I tried to lift something. It was, I tried to do a power clean to rack the bar from the deadlift thing to the squat uh, right hooks at the top. And I thought, ah, I can do it. It's not that big. It's too much. And you know what? I kind of hurt my elbow. I hurt my forearm a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I've, done, I've been lifting weights for like 10 years, and I've never had an injury. So an- another safety note. You got to do it safe. Another safety note. Proper form. Yeah, very good. I also want to say. There's a lot of bro science out there. Uh, the 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 trope is you got to stretch before you work out. Do not do that. You will hurt yourself. You work out. You gradually build up as you work out. You stretch after. Yeah, you do d- d- dynamic stretching right to warm up. And dynamic stretch, you should foam roll before you warm up. But that's not a stretch. That's you're warming up the muscles. Right. But do you some can, cardio is a great warm up. Start slow, dynamic stretching. Push ups are a great dynamic stretch. Right. Nice and slow. Just your body weight gets the chest. Bodyweight squats, great dynamic stretch. You want to engage your muscles first, right? but deep stretching you should not do before you work right. out. Stretching is for after the workout. Static yeah. stretching, that is. Yeah. Static stretching. Yeah, yeah. Um, just swinging your leg back and forth. Anyway, okay, Andy, we've been... We've talked a lot. Oh, we've gone all over the place. This is a chunky topic. This is a huge chunky topic. This is a thick topic for thick a and thick... Chunky. A big, beautiful topic. Uh, is there, I mean, Andy, is there anything else you want to touch on? Oh, my Coop? God. I don't even know what to say. Like, before we get to our we get to our verdicts. Oh my God, the verdicts. Um, yeah, no, I think let's just go to the verdicts. So, we said it all. 
with the verdicts, I think, you know, we got to talk about, we got to hit the conspiracy angle of this, right? Yeah. Which I is, think is the cure for cancer. Yeah. Is, is, is big pharma suppressing a cure for cancer or cures for anything for that matter? Right. Um, in my verdict, um, I'm going to, I, I'm going to say, I'm going to say, um, like plausible smidge. Okay. Um, it's fair. Cause I think maybe, but I also don't think that because with patent laws and stuff, I don't think there's any benefit for them to be hiding. A no, cure. they and would I was put it out. Say that. They would put it out. They would make so much money on it. And that would if be, you were like the you said, one company that had a, <laughs> yeah. Oh Andy, my God. Andy just did a prayer pose emoji is, and looked is, up to the ceiling. This is the big pharma companies. If they found the cure it's for their cancer. wet dream. I mean, look, at like uh Gleevec. Yeah. They make it. Okay. A hundred thousand dollars a year for cancer. Doesn't mean a cure forever for everybody. Yeah. It just means that you have for a long time, you can charge a whales worth <laughs> of money <Yeah>. for <laughs> a cure. So I just yeah. don't think they would. I mean, do I think that that big pharma kind of supports the drug culture? Yeah, of course. They have to. That's their livelihood. Um, but I don't think that I mean that would be such a that would be like a white whale. Uh, a lot of whale references in this verdict for me. Yeah. For some reason. Call him Ishmael. <laughs> Please. It's my name. It's on my birth certificate. <laughs> uh I I just feel like that would be such a moneymaker. I mean, yeah. globally, like <sighs> You could make so much money off of that. There's no way that that would be like locked away and hidden. And and as far as I mean, I have to agree with Brian Dunning. Natural remedies and stuff, they're obviously not suppressing it. No. There's no way that they are. Yeah. It's just that it's it falls into a different category. The legal structure is different. Just because it's not a drug doesn't mean that it's not, you know, that it doesn't exist or it's being suppressed. It's just because it's it's not a pharmaceutical drug. Okay. Um you know, so I think from the conspiracy angle, it's like plausible smidge. But I mean, you know, like we said, the operations of pharmaceutical companies are are complicated by a lot of different factors. And I think that healthcare in general needs to be like reexamined from the top down. Like it's I mean, head to tail. Yeah. Like a huge it's a huge project. You know, yeah, it's not just like with your health. It's there's no quick fix. There's no quick. Fix. You can't just say, oh, well, make a single payer and it'll solve everything. It doesn't fix some of the underlying issues that drive the behaviors that we see already. It's like how the government kind of looks at the trafficking, but they're not looking at like the misuse or the abuse right. of opioids yeah. of which there is a problem in this country. Yeah. And then, and you know, it's like there are starting to be lawsuits filed by States and the federal government against pharmaceutical companies, you know, and doctors are being held liable for uh, over prescribing and not keeping good enough controls on opioids. So, I mean, it's it's a it's a dynamic environment yeah. right now, but I mean, is it a big conspiracy against the public? In the way that everything is a big conspiracy against the public, but I don't think that it's It's not designed with the public's benefit in mind. Yeah. But I that's guess in a way, right? But yeah. a lot of things aren't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think that's well said. <laughs> a lot of things are designed with profit in mind. Right. And and calling it a conspiracy, it's like it is, but yeah. I don't think in the way in the in the spirit that we really that mean there's conspiracy. Some, there's some small group sitting around going, Okay, we can't let this get out. Right. So we need to keep people sick. Right, right. Yeah. It's only in a conspiratorial sense in the way that like big business is generally a conspiracy to generate profits at the expense of the public, which right. is, I mean, uh, that's capitalism. Um, 
Fair, fair point, Zandy. I think I'm in the same vein, but I'm going to go plausible minus minus. So a little bit higher than you, yeah, but a little bit less because I still don't trust. I don't trust these big companies. Valid. And I very rarely trust a politician. <laughs> Valid. Um, of any kind. And uh, I, I just, part of me is kind of like, well, you're right. I do think that if one of them had it, they'd be very quick. But at the same time, I could also see them maybe being like, hmm, yeah, we could make a lot of profit. But if we waited till our patent was up and then released it, We'd make even more profit. Okay. So who knows? You know, maybe they, yeah. maybe they're delaying the research. Maybe they're like, because you always hear about it. And if you go to like our Futurology or any of these other like kind of default subreddits, you'll see, oh, they tested a cure for cancer. But what's stopping, you know, another country from coming up with the cure? As we showed with um, Silvaris, Big Pharma's not R&Ding these things. Mm -hmm. These things are always being researched at, small institutes and right. publicly funded places. Now, obviously big pharma has their hand in that, but yeah, well, and there's nothing to say. I mean, I think that's really a good point is that, you know, to ensure like a steady yeah. revenue stream, again, this gets back to the economic aspect of it that needs reform. <laughs> Which has you excited. And, oh God, I am hard, <laughs> but you know, to ensure like a, a, a steady revenue stream, like, yeah, you probably do have to delay the release of some drugs. Um, because you you like the patent's going to expire on this in two years, so right. we're not going to release this for another two years. Um, and then when we release it, like then we have that patent, and so we got to have things in the hopper, um, hopper, hopper, uh, to have ready. So I mean, there's a possibility. Uh, you know, I think that makes sense, but it's it's who knows? you know, and I mean, I don't know. I, uh, I mean, I guess the the conspiracy that they're just trying to keep us sick for longer because you'll just it's yeah. endless money, it's unlimited funds. I don't, I don't see, I, 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 yeah. But then again, I have to say that I, I would hope deep down that somewhere, if some fucking scientist somewhere synthesized the cure somehow, they would just release it. You would hope, yeah. Because that's how it kind of used to go, right? A lot of the medical industry back in the day, like with polio, it's like, this was a human right. Mm -hmm. Polio wasn't getting patented. Yeah. They instantly were like, we need to get this out. To Ricketts, another great example. Ricketts were a yeah. huge fucking problem. Um, yeah. Smallpox, you know, it was like, this is a, you know, people traded the the massive wealth they could get for legacy, being in the history books as being the the person who cured polio. Right. This horrible disease. So my hope is that, and that's why I'm keeping it at plausible minus minus, is that somewhere out there, there is some good hearted doctor who loves humanity and loves people and did it for the right reasons and uh, doesn't have cold hands. Um, listeners, that's our verdict on this very lengthy episode. Thank you. If you made it all the way to the end, thank you very much. I'll have to say this too, Art, though. Oh, yeah, say this. Cure for cancer. I think it's going to be more complicated. Than oh, that, so. I mean, yeah, it's that's part of my part of my thinking too. Is that like, yeah, I, you know, well, like saying that we think it's going to be just it's some not one magic drug. Pill. Yeah, it's a cocktail. Like even AIDS, I, I think is it's going to have cocktail. to be like genetically. Like they're going to have to mess with your DNA, probably. I mean, we there. There you go. HIV and AIDS. Yeah, huge epidemic. Eventually, they you can live with HIV mm -hmm. pretty normally. Yeah, Magic Johnson. 
Not even, I mean, Magic Johnson for sure, but then also now it's it's just a routine. Yeah, there's drug cocktail. Right. So the evidence is kind of like, they wouldn't have released yeah. Gleevec if they didn't want a cancer cure to get out. Because right. it literally is a cancer cure. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah. I think you're right. I think, you know, the first company to find it is going to be like, we did it. It was all us. So anyway, you know, lis- uh, listeners, thank you so much if you made it all the way to the end of this hefty episode. Let us know what you think yeah. about so many of the things we brought up. <laughs> you got a lot to share. Write in MrBunkerPod at gmail.com. Email us. Tweet at us at MrBunkerPod. Slide into our DMs on Instagram at MrBunkerPod. Subscribe to us on Twitch at twitch.tv slash MrBunkerPod. Find us on YouTube by YouTube searching Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. I think that's it for social media. Um, let us know. Use the hashtag Thick Pharma. Yeah, Thick Pharma. I mean, that's what's got to be, right? Right. Hashtag Thick Pharma. That's with two C's. Let us know what you think. <laughs> um, Andy, whew, any last words? Uh, no, I think we've we've said a lot. Oh, we've said too much. Yeah. If anything, um, but let us know what you think, listeners. Most physicians don't urge you to listen to this much Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. <laughs> if you have a Mr. Bunker's podcast episode that lasts longer than four hours, <laughs> consult your physician. Well, for my Zephyr co-host, for the titular Mr. Bunker, I'm Arthur Stone saying that was the whole enchilada. You put the lime in the coconut and call me in the morning. woo Welcome to Anthology of Heroes, the podcast that explores the most pivotal moments of history through the eyes of those who lived it. In this podcast, we don't spend our time recounting facts and dates. Instead, we follow in the footsteps of national heroes, kings, or ordinary people who lived and breathed the moments that shaped our world. We're not hemmed in by eras, borders, or religions. Instead, we seek out the tales of those who defied the odds and fought passionately for their beliefs. Whether they're right or wrong is up to you to decide. From Vercingetorix's doomed rebellion against Rome, to Osceola's unshakable war against the USA, all the way up to the inspiring Sobibor concentration camp uprising in World War II, each episode is an immersive listening experience, blending music and sound effects to really draw you into the story. Our episodes go for about 45 minutes, making them perfect for your commute, and are crafted using a wealth of historical sources which I list on our website if you want to learn more. I'm the host, Elliot Gates, and I'm thrilled to have you joining me as we uncover history's hidden gems and illuminate the faded pages of our past. Look out for the Anthology of Heroes podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from.